Yeah, Callan is this dude who's just like in insane shape. He's 51. And I was just, I was on the road with him once, and he was talking to this kid who's 21, who was our host. Mm-hmm. And he's like, with a, like a very sincere face said to the kid, he goes, you got to take care of yourself. And when he said it, it felt like he was talking to me, mm-hmm. even though I, I knew he wasn't. But I was also in a place where I, I, I knew I, I wasn't um, taking care of myself the way I should be. Right. You know what I'm saying? And when he said that, it something just struck a chord and it made me look at my finances, it made me look at my relationships, it made me just look at uh, how I was eating, and you know, because when you really, when you start to really look at taking care of yourself, um, unless you're you're you are in an environment that makes it easy for you, mm-hmm. meaning like. Uh, like my 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 family on my mom's side lives in Belize, mm-hmm. so the foods there are pretty natural, right? It's like whatever meat you're cooking, they killed it that day. Yeah. Like they're walking to the market every day for groceries. Where here, you have to be very intentional about what you're eating, how you eat. Uh, you have to you have to go. You have to be like, you have to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Versus there, it's just an active lifestyle. Like. When I was cutting grass, I was cutting with a machete. You know what I'm saying? If you wanted water, you had to walk outside down the stairs to the vat, fill up a bucket of water, bring it back upstairs, and then dump that into your tub. Like, that's how you you drew your... So it was like, you didn't have to think about being physical. Life... Was physical. Yeah. Um, But here, you could... It's very easy to sit on a couch and Netflix and chill all day. Right, right. Yeah, where your day about about just getting breakfast, water, food, and washing your clothes and maintaining the land is more than three or four times in the gym that you burn calories. Absolutely. My family's the same way in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, the only difference is the healthcare system is is not good, so if you get sick, you really get sick. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what here, we postpone death rather than live our lives to a healthy level. We postpone death with medicine, and 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 what our technology to make us live longer, but we're just dying internally, and we're holding on to it. Wow, you're, you're right, man. It's it's like we're not even, uh, you know, uh, we're not even thriving, right? We're just trying to survive. We're, we're just yeah. It's kind of like this. There's no difference between what we're doing and having a brain in a fucking bottle that is still alive. And it has nothing else to do. The only difference now is we can we we're walking around, but we're just getting big, bigger and fatter, and we're just like, no, we don't have to die because we found a way to keep us living, even if we can't walk. Past our expiration date. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they do it with people in comas all the time. We're just walking around with the bodies of dead people. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because I saw photos of you. You used to be much bigger. I was like. 50 pounds to 75 pounds heavier. What was So what was going on that got you to that place? Are we recording, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I just kept, I growing up, my mom got in a car, we all got in a car accident when I was six. So she became a paraplegic, right? So my life was taking care of her at six years old. So I was more of a mother than my mom was a mother, right? So my dad would go to work, have three jobs because he has this thing to pay. He has two children to feed, a wife in a wheelchair who can't work anymore. 
And to make her happy, to feel like she was a mother, we would do weird things in the house. Like, if she spanked us, and she couldn't because she's a paraplegic and her arms weren't strong, we'd, we'd fall. We'd be like, oh, and my dad would be like, damn, they are making my wife feel like a mother. I'm not even going to get them in trouble anymore because they're even, they're, pre- they're actually making her feel better. You know, another thing we would do is my brother tore his uh, ACL because we were boxers and before MMA, we were doing MMA because my dad was a martial artist, right? And we were sparring outside. My friend kicked him in the, the knee and tore his ACL. So my brother couldn't walk. So, But if he told my mom about this, my past experience of we were kids, black eyes, cuts, bruises, she would cry because she couldn't get up in a wheelchair and take care of us. So we would hide all our illnesses. So my brother would just tape it up, and when, when we would see her in the, in the morning in the kitchen, he'd walk normally. And once he turned around the corner, he'd collapse and go, ah. Oh. Because she can't, we, we couldn't show her that. Her life had to be what she saw was not real because if if she saw the problems she would really be depressed because she couldn't do anything about it right so it was a weird dynamic how we lived right it's it's crazy that at six years old you already knew like nobody told you to do that no but i fell to make her feel better but what made her happy and this is a filipino culture or poor cultures especially third world is food because it was abund- there's not an abundance of food. So w- when, our, when she, they moved to Canada, they, our fridge was packed. Our freezers were packed. There's food, chips, bags, chips, everything. Like, we may not even have a car, but the money would went for the food. And I, seeing me eat was her happiest feeling. So I'd force myself to eat in front of her to make her happy. And... Every, and at the same time, she'd be like, oh, I'm so happy you're eating. And then after a couple of days, she'd be like, you're getting really fat. You should lose weight. You know, it was like, but 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 she didn't know that. Well, the, the hard part is I'm trying to make you happy. And if I didn't eat and worked out, she'd be like, good, you're losing weight. She's like, you know what? You should be eating, you know, eat. Like, she, because of the maternal instinct. Right, right. So by the time she was, when I was 40, which is, I'm 45 now. So 40, she passed. And I, um. I just started, like, the weight started melting off because I didn't need to do that anymore. Wow, so you were carrying this weight for her. Yeah. And it just started dropping, and I didn't really consciously make an effort of it, but what happened was, like, I was less stressed. Here's the weird part. Knowing your mother is in a wheelchair, your dad gives you all these, you know, these, they're prepping you for her death since you're six. He's like, you know, mom is, is is a paraplegic, she now has diabetes. Every year, she's gonna get a new problem because your body's not circulating well. You're gonna create, dis- you're gonna start getting diseases. Your heart's not gonna be stronger. They postpone death by giving you medicine, but they don't. Li- you don't really live a life, right? Whatever she takes, it will numb the pain, but you don't live a life. And then eventually, um, when uh, when she passed, it was the most happiest and saddest time of my life. So I, I can't even explain explain how that felt because my nightmares of her dying were were worse than reality when it really did. So my nightmares, I wake up with cold sweats, <gasps> run upstairs to see if she's awake or she's dead. You know, like she I had all these dreams of her dying. And then when she actually did, my brother and I were walking to the hospital. My dad was, was already there and he was outside her, her uh, room and he was his head was down. And this is the weirdest thing because... We always saw my dad 
with my mom in front of her. So he was he was pushing her. A, a, a person's wheelchair is part of her body. It's part of their body. It's not a metallic or wooden thing. It's part of their body. Right. So when someone goes, let me will you, that's like saying, let me carry you, let me hold you. It's not comfortable. Mm. So they only let f- uh, family members or really close friends and doctors touch their wheelchair. Right. So my dad ha- didn't have the wheelchair in front of her of him. After, you know, and it was weird to see my dad just walking by himself. Because I always saw this. And when it was gone, he had to learn how to walk again by himself. Wow. Yeah, because it was always this. And yeah. so did, did he, did he, is his posture like uh, yeah. pretty jacked up then? I would. Well, now he him. walks up straight, but it was always bent a bit because yeah. he put, he, le- he was leaning on right. the wheelchair. So right. when I came there and I saw him crying, he goes, Mom is dead. And my brother said, he heard air come out of my mouth. That felt like it was a million pounds. Relief. And, yeah. And he said, I was like this. I'm so happy. I said those words in front of my dad. And then I burst out crying and we walked in and it fell on her. And I was holding her going, I miss you. I love you. Mm-hmm. But the f- initial thing that happened is I, I smiled and I said, I'm so happy you're dead. Isn't that messed up? It. I completely understand uh, those that conflict of feelings of you're happy and sad and relieved. Yeah. And um, and I, I would imagine part of it is angry. There might be a little anger in there over no no, no anger zero just happiness. pure relief just happiness. pure joy. I've never felt happier in my life and sadder in my life. Wow. I, it's the same time. The only closest thing that I've experienced to that those two feelings in one. Is that one time I was doing the brewery? Remember that the comedy, the open mic in in the it's called the brewery. It's in the in the, in the university or the college, uh, yeah. in Beverly Hills near there. Beverly Hills. I can't. Maybe the Perkins used to bring me all the time. So they have a crowd there, and there's another crowd outside the door, and they switch it all the time. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I died so bad. I had to do ten minutes. My first five minutes, they boo me, and I walked this crowd. And I was so depressed, but they said, well, you only did five, so wait. And then the rest of the new crowd came in, and I did the exact same set and killed and almost got a standing ovation. And I didn't understand these feelings because I was still depressed from five minutes before, but then they gave me the happiest happiest laugh. And I I almost got a standing ovation. In fact, three or four people were, like, standing up. And I walked off the stage going, I don't know what this feeling is because I'm so upset, but I'm so happy. Like, I was upset. I was happy because I killed and was, I re- was relieved from the first step. But it was 10 minutes, bombed straight, and then killed straight because they switched the crowd quickly. Well, you know what's interesting about that is, and it is confusing because we're not taught that we can hold multiple emotions at one time. Oh, really? You know, we, we usually, uh, it's like, uh, how are you feeling? It's like, you're, I'm, up, I'm angry or I'm happy. Or it's like... Usually, society teaches us we we can only feel one thing at a time. Right. But the truth is that we're we're if we are feeling something, we're feeling multiple feelings at the same time. Uh, it's, right? it's hard to take one at a time and 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 be, uh, you know, when you separate those emotions, it's hard to, because one is one will be do- one will dominate the other. Like here's an example, two examples I can think of. Uh, one is. Um. Oh my God! What is this? Okay, my uh, 
so uh, my one of these girls I was dating uh, told me she has a pr- she's a, I think she she has a pregnancy pregnancy scare, and so I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm gonna be a father, you know, and I wasn't ready. I was in my twenties, and I went to see uh, Paranormal Activity with my friends, uh, and I wasn't affected at all. Like in the movie, it was boring. And they're all like, ah, and I was like, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm not scared of this. I just, I, you know what's scary? Not death, life. Right. Like, someone's going to ruin <laughs> my life. I go, if I saw a girl almost pregnant in the movie, I'd probably be more scared than the ghosts. Because <laughs> 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 you know, it was too much pain, scared. I was too scared <laughs> in real life than this movie. And I really wanted to be scared for the movie. And they're like, everyone's like, that was the scariest shit in the world. When I go on Skype tomorrow, I'm going to be so scared. I'm like, this was hilarious to me. You know, it just doesn't. I was uh, in Abu Dhabi doing the Abu Dhabi Comedy Festival. And the ruler brought, it, brought us down, me, Dwayne Perkins, uh, Sugar Sammy, Russell Peters. So we did a show, 3,000 people. And then we were all hanging out in the green room. And the a rap video went up. And the, the ruler is a billionaire. He's like, <laughs> why that car? Like, he was like laughing at their blinging. Like, he was like, they're, sh- they're throwing away $100 bills? Like, he was wow. laughing. He thought it was, like, us doing pennies. Right, right. And then when they had the cars and the Mercedes, he just couldn't stop laughing because it was, like, a homeless person just going, yo, look at this. I got a shopping cart. I got, a, I got new shoes with a one hole only. You know, for them, they're like, this is supposed to be good? And we're like, yeah, it's Mercedes Benz, the other ones, the BMW, hot girls. And they're like, this is very funny to me because it's like a homeless person showing off. Wow. Yeah. So what you, whatever you're dealing with uh, in someone else's world, it's so much bigger. Or whatever you're feeling, the, the, mo- the highest pain, it trumps the lower pain. Right. So this is a, a documentary I saw where the, under the Brooklyn Bridge, there was a society of homeless people that kind of were governing themselves. And as soon as they had to reconstruct their bridge, they had to kick them out. So they all put them in, 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 in these free ho- housing for two years. After two years, if they couldn't find a job and get their lives settled and this and that, they would, they would lose the free apartments. This couple, homeless, and it was like, it was like the Wizard of Oz. As soon as they started making money in color, they put color in the movie. And then they, were, they, they finally got jobs. One's a construction worker, the other girl's working as a waitress. And then the colors started coming out, kind of like Pleasantville, right? And all of a sudden, they had regular lives. They have a kid, and they're cooking, they're, they're barbecuing outside some steaks. They're making $4,000 each a month. They're, now they're going to buy this uh, a property. And this is five, seven years after. And then they go, here's a video of you two when we found you. They're lying in bed. Rats are running around them. And he's like this, I don't remember the rats. Like you know, those are those are diseased rats. It's like I didn't even know we had rats. It's like a fly to you guys. You wow. Know, because my situation is so bad. The last thing I'm thinking of is getting rabies or getting bit. Right. I gotta think about me. How to fucking find food and money. This. Yeah. It's whatever. Nothing. I don't even. I didn't see that shit. Wow. And then until he made money and he was he was normal. He looked there and he goes, well, that's why people get beaten up by their boyfriends or girlfriends. And that's why people take all this bullshit because they're not seeing the, the, those are secondary problems to them trying to make someone love them or trying to make money or trying to get food, you know? 
That makes, that makes that, yeah. It's a weird. Uh, it, it's uh, it because you we all value something different. You know uh, that show, Big Little Lies. There's a uh, there's a scene, and I'm not giving anything away, but there's a scene where uh, a woman who's being uh, beaten by her husband says that uh, when I was happy, I stayed because I was happy, and when I was sad, I stayed because I was sad, and. It's it's like your values can change over time right. in a given situation uh, in terms of what you value externally or even emotionally. And, uh, you know, it's like if you're in a situation where to somebody else is like, man, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. But you're focused on the bigger picture. You don't see the little details. No. You're not thinking about uh, the, the trash there or like I have a, I have a friend makes buku dollars place is a mess but in their head is because they're always thinking about the next big thing yeah. they don't have time to be dealing right. with the um but then you read these self-help books and you know these self-help books want you to be so perfect i think that's i think that's what causes depression in a lot of people because yeah. these you know you listen to these motivational videos or self-help books they they are often like you know, A players and top low performers, they do these 10 things. And it's like, no, I, I've been around them. They, they, you know, they run the gamut of, they're just, they're just people. Mm-hmm. And they have areas that they're really strong in and really focused on. And they have areas of their life that are really trash, that right. are just horrible. Like they store all their, but yeah. they're not focused on the trash because they keep thinking about the next bigger thing, right. the next big idea how to get out of the, the situation. So yeah, and, and it's like it's hard for us as comedians to have relationships sometimes with people that are, are not in the industry because they don't understand that our even our timing in life is off. Uh, where they go, when I turn 30, I'm going to get married. When I turn 40, I'm going to have two children or and have a house. And, and they, they have this, this kind of plan of their lives where us, we don't have that plan because anything can happen. And... I, sometimes we're still thinking about fixing a joke we did ten years ago. Like that to them, they couldn't understand doing something, working something for that long. Right. But uh, they their time, lifetime, has a different rhythm than ours. Right. So it, it's hard to match it. Where every time I'm dating a girl that doesn't doesn't it's not an entertainment industry, she always says, "I feel like I'm waiting for you all the time. And I feel like I'm chasing you all the time." I go, "Why is that?" Because I'm done. Then I wait for you. Because I'm done my job, and now five o'clock, four o'clock, I'm like, now it's us time. But you're never, you you could be done. I, I could see you, but I could see you at nine, ten, twelve, midnight, uh, two in the morning, and so I just have to occupy myself and hope that you'll show up or be able to hang. And if not, I wasted that ten, five hours of the rest of my day, and it's a very, um, a very selfish job we've chosen. I've a, and I look back and I I said I did some stupid things by leaving my friends' weddings, and coming back at the end where it's almost done because I wanted to do a seventy-five dollar gig. I miss birthdays, people's funerals, holidays that you can never get back. And I was like, you know what? I'm giving too much, uh, for this comedy. And maybe I had to do it for the first ten years to get that edge over somebody, which. Because you're better in something, maybe your your showcase set was better, but it doesn't really matter because anybody, it's it's only a four and a half minute, five minute set. <laughs> you could create that in a week, I mean a month or two, even a year, like really tight. 
and doing extra stuff like that was sometimes I felt it maybe did me worse than it did me good because there's burnout. Absolutely. I, there's so many people who are working towards, uh, you know, they, they say they're working for the family. I got to support my for my kids, my wife. And so then work becomes almost an excuse not to have to deal with your family, not mm-hmm. to deal with the kids, not to be there. And 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 the truth is, is like there is space for both. Yeah. Right. To be to spend time with your family and to also work and make money. Well, I think uh, w- what happens is, is that um, we don't strategize. Mm-hmm. Be- so what what because w- what I mean is. In the beginning, it sounds like you were reacting more, right? It's like you're at a wedding, you're there, you're present, and then you get a, a text, hey, man, can you do the show tonight? Boom, yeah, I'm there. So you're just reacting to whatever the moment is providing in front of you versus really thinking about the the bigger picture of the material comes from your experiences. Mm-hmm. So what happens with a lot of comics, and I think while they going back to the burnout, is that because they they get so deep into just doing stand up, then their experiences dry up, and now they're talking about hotel o- rooms, rooms airplane mics. food, open mics, yeah. uh, travel, things right. like that. That the average person is uh, uh, they can relate to on some level, but then you start to sound like all the other road comics, right? Right, and and, and now there's road. <laughs> this is funny. A lot of people in I do a cruise. I used to, I, I started cruises, a uh, April last year, so 2018, and April. So I did a year, a week a month for a year, and then I went. I can only do it every once every four months, because what happened was first of all, the cruise comics that I see that have been doing it for 20, 30 years, they love it. Uh, in two for one, two couple couple reasons. One because they leave their families. They're like, yes, finally. You know, I get they're sick of their families, right? And and fine, you you get your own little vacation by yourself. But second, they're institutionalized because um, I th- one guy, one comic that's been doing. He's the very first cruise comic, 1987. The world was one. The, the comedy clubs, uh, kind of like in the 80s, were had comedy magicians, uh, a lot of you know some one-liners. Then all of a sudden, Eddie Murphy comes in. And and uh, Seinfeld. So before them, I would say Richard Pryor and and Carlin was kind of like the guys that changed what was happening. And then they changed it again. So all a lot of these uh, comedy magicians were kicked out. So the cruise comedy 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 scene was these magicians that were kicked out. So they finally were like, look at this Eddie Murphy guy. Let's get stuff like that. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld guys like that. Mm-hmm. So this one guy, he was the very first cruise comedy. I don't even want to mention his name, but. Uh, He's 60 years old now. He looks still like 40. He's he ripped. He's ripped. He works out, uh, and he's like, "Well, I'm institutionalized. I I left. I started in 1987, and they all hated him. All the cruise, all, all the magicians. They're like, look at you. Where's your where's your bag of tricks? Where's your, you're not. What are you doing there? And, c- and they were mad because the new wave was taking over. Right. And he was a guy that knew Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy went to this other side, which HBO. And he was like, well, I'm going to try these cruises. And he was just as good. He was in New York. If you watch his act today, you're like, it's very 80s Eddie Murphy style. You know, because that was the th- new thing. 
and he goes, he made you, you make around four, three to four thousand dollars a week in a cruise, right? And every you could do three weeks max because it it, it 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 doubles up, so you can't really do more than that. And so he was making probably two, three thousand in <laughs> back in those times. So he made a lot of money. And by the time he made like half a million dollars after 10 years, he's like, let me go back on the land, right? And then it was Jeff Day, Jeff Def Jam days, you know? So he walked in, he was like, what the fuck is this? Everybody's, what is this? Like, he, it was not a happy time. Wow. It was not happy comedy with Eddie Murphy. It was dark. Yeah. It was Martin Lawrence was the man, Def Jam, everybody was really hardcore thug. Yeah. And they laughed at him. They're like, what are you doing? What are you, this is crazy. You're not like us. Think of it. Rich Voss dressed up like a hip-hop dude in one of the Def Jam times. Everybody had to be that cool, right? Or do the white side. Right. He went back. And so a lot of these comics, after 10 years on cruises, they go, they make a lot of money. They think they're actually better than average comics. They have to do five to 10 different 30s. Right. Right? Like, you get on, they go, you have to have start with three different 30 minutes. One 30-minute clean, two 30-minute adults. You know, I walk around with an hour, so I had to create a 30 minutes in my, that, that year. And a lot of them go, fuck the land. You're a land comic. Like, there's a term that we don't know as regular comics that they've created called land comics. You know, the, the MC of these cruises are guys that are in their 20 to 25 that, that live in, that signed up to be a cruise manager slash MC for cruises. Right. And their job is to make the crowd laugh for three minutes before they bring us up. So they're not, that's not their chosen path to be a comedian. They just were told to do that. So they're stealing jokes left and right, whatever. So I'll go up and I'll do this first joke and I get into my act. The second show, he does my first joke. Get out of here. Yeah, and I go, dude, you can't do my joke. Cause like, uh, first of all, he's also grading you. He's also seeing how well you do right. as the MC and right. manager of the club. And then he sends it to head office every time you show. So you can't really fight him too much unless you yeah. want to really get, you know, you, get a, you have to fight the head office. I go, you just took my first joke. He's like, and you could take one of my jokes. He goes, I go, no, we can't steal it. He's like, listen, I've been working here for four years. Every comic steals every comic shit. I go, this ain't the land, buddy. This is the sea. <laughs> <laughs> he said yeah. that? <laughs> like a pirate. Yeah. He goes, you're a land comic. And he just looked at me. Wow. And, and that's a term. You land comic? Look at you with your feet. So how did you feel at that moment then? I said, okay. So this is just for m me then. Because here's my here's the stuff I got in trouble for not doing. A, you didn't say thank the wait staff. You didn't say give it up for the troops. You didn't get. You didn't say. You didn't say. Is there any military here? Give it up for the military. You didn't pander. Everybody does that, and I'm just like, I don't do that. It's like you have to do that. Like the, every manager has their own version of what comedy should be. Right. Right. So I'm like, I'm not doing. It. You can kick me out. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing it. All right, so I got a bad score. If you have under three out of five, you kicked out. Wow. So I'm like, well, I was a five, four, then three at this guy. Right. Right. And I said to myself, all right, I'm going to use this to develop my riffing, write some new stuff. But it's so, because you and your, you're, you're, sometimes you're a product of your environment. So sometimes when you see something funny on a ship, you go, I got to tell these guys. 
Right. You know, it's like right. I'm seeing a wedding. You can't just talk, get into your act. You kind of talk, have to talk about the wedding. Yeah. So I'm like, oh man, this is so funny. And I told them like, something that happened on the ship, and everybody was dying. And I heard another, and then I saw another funny thing. All of a sudden, a year after, I have five minutes of cruise jokes. I'm like, what just happened? But it's a survival instinct that we all have to do. If you're on the road, it's the same thing. On the road, survival is doing anything that works that may not make you happy because if you're not killing, you're not coming back. Road gives you money to sustain your life, right? But the opposite happens in this on in the city like New York, LA, Chicago, Toronto, Vancouver. Creativity, originality is survival. Because you're the next best thing. You have the next best joke. Street cred as a comedian in the city is is really uh is is the same thing as being a killer on the road with hacky shit. Because there's, there's street cred coming, like, you know, it's like, hey, you know this guy? Yeah, dude, he's so funny. Oh, and it just keeps going on. Everybody thinks you're funny, and everybody, so then you start getting work as a promote, um, promoters, managers, agents, TV, producers start liking you because your name kind of got around because you stayed in the city for long enough. That survival in the city is creative, being creative and doing something that stands out that's, whether it's viral or it's just through the art, but on the road, it's survival of the fittest. Just take this, take this, do an Asian joke that they would laugh at because it's easy, you know. Like it's, fuck, it's fucking weird. What's gr- what's great about what you said, because I, and I and and for the listeners out there, you know, it can sound like oh, well, this is just for stand-up comedy, but really, the ideas here translate to everything, right? Fashion it, designers. Say it again. Fashion designers can't. Commit, com, can't come up with good fashion if they're in a small town as opposed to being in a major city where your fashion's around you and influences you subconsciously. Right. So right. if I go up in Laugh Factory, Comedy Store, Comedy Magic Club, and I see great comics before me and after me, I'm learning psycho- su- subconsciously like this. I'm like, oh, you know what? That's a really good joke that you do about your family's history. I should talk about my family's history because it's very important to me too. So you're kind of learning... Something and you see this other person doing kind of an alternative type of thing. like that is in me too, but I just didn't really know you can pull it off that way. You're not stealing it; they're giving you, uh, they're giving they're you activating th- what, what's already there. there right, right, absolutely. What if there's what if you're alone in the cruise because there's no other comics? You're the MC and you, where you get to learn around you. You get to start talking about the cruise. Right. right. Imagine you're in a small town. You're the only headliner. The key people before you are locals, and they're really not that good as an MC, so you can't really learn from them. What are you going to start talking about? You're, you go back in your head and hope that these thoughts are creative, but, and, but sometimes they're off because you're influenced by what you saw in the town. So <laughs> it's like yeah, being in the city is really is so important in development, developing the best comedian or any other art form that you decide to put your whole mind and body into right well it, and, and it goes to, to that like every no matter what your job is or what your work is there's a culture there yes right and so w- what you're really speaking to is uh, is uh learning the culture that you so that you can adapt survive and then thrive Wow. Because right, adapt, survive, survive and, and then thrive. thrive. That's a shirt you have. Uh, huh? Is that a shirt? You no, have? I just I just said that. And that's going to be the title. That's going to be the title of the podcast <laughs> episode. Um, because what you 
because what what I think what a lot of people want to do is they want to come in and impose their own values, their own norms, and things like that. And what happens is every now and again, uh, that person breaks through and changes the game. Every now and again. Right. Uh, but most of the time when you try to just impose your values on a culture that's already set up, you get your head cut off, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people, you stand out. People don't like you. You're a threat to the status quo. Right. They take care of you. Um, whereas if you go in and you go, let me learn about how things are done here, right, and and adapt that, right, so I can survive and then slowly make it my own mm-hmm. versus it being an, an abrupt 360. Because nobody, even if you're in a crappy situation, nobody likes an abrupt change. Like Even wow. somebody who's in a domestic violent situation, they still... Have to build up to the beating. To the to the beating, but <laughs> what I mean is like they have to build up to the leaving. Yeah. It's not like if if someone is is in a domestic violence situation and you say, "Hey, I, I can take you out of this today and start a whole new life right now." Even that's hard. Even that's going to be hard. Leaving jail is hard. Leaving jail is hard. If you're if you're three hundred fifty pounds and I go, I can make you hundred pounds in one day. That is going to be challenging. For your, for you know, even with your mom who was a paraplegic, mm-hmm. uh, if you're like, I can, you could be able to walk right now. Mm-hmm. So many things in her life would then change. Mm-hmm. It would be awkward, and and be, you know, because it just doesn't affect her, but her relationship with your dad, because yeah, yeah. your dad is used, used to taking care of her. How you guys interact with her, um, people that it, they get, they get money. I yeah, my friend. Uh, he had crooked teeth, and he had the surgery that actually straightened your teeth. Yeah. In one day, and they sew it. Uh-huh. He didn't know how to smile. It took him a year to figure out how to smile because he was used to this. Oh, covering, covering his, his mouth. mouth. Right? So he kept doing it. And they're like, you're covering your mouth. Your, street are, your teeth are straight. And he was just like, and he does how he smiled. He didn't have a smile. He did develop an actual smile and, uh, from for straight teeth. I had a car where uh, it was an old beat up car and a driver's side door didn't work. I had mm-hmm. to I had to crawl over to the passenger side to get out. And even after I bought a new car, I still would find myself crawling over the wow. passenger seat yeah. to get out. I just I was like, oh, I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, these a lot of things become ingrained habits mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that's why like for people who are trying to lose weight. Or what, whatever habit you're trying to uh, either stop doing or build up towards, you can't beat yourself up over it because we 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 do what we've been trained to do. We fall back to our default. That's why people go back to their old relationships. They 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 leave because it was it was a bad relationship or it was uncomfortable and not you know uh, not fulfilling. But then they get to a place in life where they're uh, they don't feel comfortable anymore, so then they fall back to something that they that was comfortable, even right. though it wasn't the best thing yeah. uh, for them. Yeah, and 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 people stick in relationships all the time because of that. Because right. it's hard to do to do that whole. It's hard to break your best bench press, but when you do it, you go, "Thank God I actually did it." And so sometimes you have to jump, and sometimes you have to break up, and usually it's too late in your head but it's never too late 
That's why you get a personal trainer because the personal trainer is going to push you. Or that's why you get a therapist because the therapist is going to push you. Yeah. Um, with everything going back to like your childhood and taking care of your mom and uh, and and walking around. So at your heaviest, how much did you weigh? Like two sixty. Two sixty. And like you're how tall? I'm five ten. All right. So two sixty five ten. And you know your mom passes away. Trying. Was there any work that you did? Did you go to therapy? Were the books that you were reading? I quit smoking first. You, all right. Like as soon as your mom passed away, or what? Or it was weird. Uh, she probably passed away a few months after I quit smoking. But when I turned forty. She passed away. I quit smoking that year. I started working out, going to the gym. So it's been five years regularly working out at least five days a week um, because I had the time to. I had the time. I, I actually had the, f the first time in my life I could actually think of what I wanted to do just for me, as, uh, being as selfish as I can. My dad was basically like, all right, so um, I'm selling this house and I'm going to live by myself. I'm going to go to the Philippines for a couple of years and – and he got he got remarried, you know, like, wow. and my brother was was always was living with his wife and his child at the time, but for me he was just like, all right, uh, you know, remember, remember when Conan had it chained up and he was pushing the whole th the the thing like Conan the Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Oh yeah, oh yeah, Conan the, the Barbarian. Yeah, yes. and then like he cut off his chase. Now go. He's like, where? Go. Wow. I don't know. I mean, and I felt like I was running like Conan in the field. I mean, what, what am I gonna do? I don't have a base. My base was coming back to see my mom every month, no matter where I was in the world. So I was in Australia doing the common store in Sydney. After that, I'm doing the road tour. And all of a sudden, I fly down. My dad, as soon as I land, he has a message, go to the hospital right now. Mom might be going into a coma or whatever. I'm like, so I'm driving straight to the hospital. And then I see my mom like half awake. And, we're, you know. and so it was like, I always had to go back home, no matter how bad the situation was. I, I, I it was, I was conditioned. I was institutionalized in some level where that was my norm. Do whatever you have to do around the world. Come back home to see your mom, because if, if I didn't see my mom once a month, she would have probably passed. Because that was the only reason why she wanted to be li alive at that point. Right, right. Right. So I'd always come back every month to see her and to see her. And then when that was done, that was my home base. My dad sold. My the the mansion they bought a mansion because my dad had to get four jobs and all of a sudden he when my mom got in the wheelchair he was a he was a nurse and he was like and my mom was like a secretary at the hospital my dad was like we gotta make money quick so he started to import Filipino products because he knew a guy from the Philippines that was friend that had that was selling stuff so he imported it from the Philippines to Canada and nobody at that time in the eighties were selling Filipino fruits to the Filipinos in the eighties in Toronto. So he was the main guy in charge. And eventually he, he made a million dollars in the first year. And then he made two million. Then he had enough money to build his house that had ramps, you know, and he, he became a, a millionaire. You know, thank God he, he was, the Filipino community didn't have anything that's to supply their food for. They couldn't. They had no. So my dad was the first person to do that. So I had to work in the family business. Then I wanted to be a comedian. And it just so happens he's, when he sold the family business, I started uh, started to do comedy. He, his, his cousins from Saudi Arabia came in and said, we're rich. Um, we want to buy a business, and we want to buy your business. My dad sold it to them for $2 million, right? And so that was the first time my dad goes, all right, you boys don't have to work here anymore. We were working there since 10. I was already 22. He's like, what do you want to do? I go, I always want to be a comedian. Okay, go do that. And he went to the comedy club that week.
my first time. Wow. And it happened again when my mom died. My mom died. My dad's like, okay, well, this is your, you're done now. No more business, no more mom. That you have to take Do whatever you want. And I'm just like, all right, I'm moved to L.A. So I drove from Toronto to L.A. Four, five years ago. And then I, I lived with different people, started doing comedy, the comedy magic club. I got into like the factory and, uh, and uh, Ice House and Improv back in, uh, 10 years ago. But it was just because I was in town. I, I, they happened to showcase me. Yeah. That, but you know, it's, I started kind of reconnecting to the people I knew ten years ago. But it had my life had to start over again too, because I had no real base. Even now, it's kind of this is kind of my base now. I have my own place now by myself, no roommates, and that feels my first time in my life. I feel like I have a home. Your the first time now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How old are you now? 45. Wow, at 45. I never, bu- I never bought furniture for myself. So, like, this last year was the first time I had no roommates. So I was like, let me buy furniture. So I bought all this shit, and, and then I realized the furniture I bought did not match my <laughs> house. And I wasted a lot of money on bullshit. And I'm like, why did I buy this hanging giant tree thing? And I have five different types of lamps that are are all weird looking, and the couches are too big for my living room. Did you pick all this stuff out yourself? Yeah. Why would you do that? Because I have no experience of what you're supposed to. Hey, do. But that's what I'm saying. Like, why why not get a girl? Yes. Or I should have. <laughs> I should have. I had my Italian hardcore friend who makes pizzas help me. Uh, take that couch, red like red. All right, uh, dartboard, dartboards. Like just stupid shit I should have done. Yeah, forty five. You should not have a dartboard. No. Yeah, and I was eight. I was an eight. I have a I have a tiny Spider Man basketball for some reason, and I just see it rolling around in my apartment. I just kick it, but I'm like, why did I buy that? I all the things you wanted to do at eighteen added with a forty five year old person. Just, my house looks place looks like a dorm. I, I have a son somewhere <laughs> <laughs> that you 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 can't find. He's out. It's so funny because I'm 43, <laughs> and uh, and my upbringing wasn't as intense as yours in terms of having to take care of your mom right. physically. Yeah. Mine was more uh, emotionally. Right. And I, and you know, I'm definitely a kid in terms of uh, decoration, if that's what you want to call it. But uh, I, like, I'm like, I have a fire extinguisher that I bought a bullhorn. In my room, uh, I bought a movie projector. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just ridiculous stuff, stuff that you wish you bought when you were yeah, eighteen. Yeah, you do it now. Right, right, right. And it's I'm like, oh man, I could do some crazy stuff. I bought a Street the Fighter, place. the arcade thing. Like, there's no reason. Yeah, I bought some bean bags for cornhole, like cornhole games. I have a giant bean bag chair. <laughs> And there's no reason for it there. No, not a 45. That's yeah. college dorm room yeah. stuff. It's I have the couch. Two couches that are touching because it's too small, and a beanbag chair at the corner. So people walk around. I just put my keys on it. Yeah, you get rid of that. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then my first three, four months of, of buying groceries for myself was just stupid. Yeah, was it all snacks? snacks what did you get? Uh, uh, not beers or anything. I got like a bunch of sodas, like five, twenty different types of sodas, diet sodas, and I got like a like steaks. Oh right, steaks, nothing right. healthy. Yeah, there's no no vegetables <laughs> in this thing. 
you know, this is my first six months. And I remember the girl I was dating at the time, uh, she was like, what did you buy? And I had a uh, Diet Sunkiss two-liter bottle, uh, a donut, right, uh, a steak. Like, this is what I bought for groceries at... This is the stupidest yeah, combination kiss. Oh, man. That's, yeah. that's not a good look at all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Chips. And then how big is your television? It's 55 inch. Yeah, yeah. It's too big. It's way too big. Yeah, it's like I'm wearing a visor <laughs> on my fucking head. It, it's just, you, my friend walks in and he was like, this is probably what Bobby Lee's apartment looked like when he first got Mad TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not now. When he first got Mad TV. He was like, what is all this shit? Uh, you know, you have dog slippers. But, you know, you know what's interesting, too, though, is, uh, you know, Einstein has this quote, and I'm, I'm going to misquote it, but it was something to the effect of um, empty, wait, uh, it was something to the effect of like if you if you empty mind and em, empty place empty or empty desk empty mind wow. or something right and um, so basically it was like you need things that stimulate your mind mm-hmm. like I think about like a uh, like a, a classroom right um, like a cla- like a really good classroom if you think about like uh, for kids elementary. There's a bunch of stuff to stimulate a kid's brain. There are books everywhere. There's stuff on the walls. There's a, and, and, it's and interactive. The, there's the alphabet that goes on top of the ceiling. Absolutely, yeah, the alphabet. Absolutely, to 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 help reinforce the basics. Um, there are posters. There are all types of visuals. There's all types of tactile stuff. There's always a box of stuff. You go into the box and you figure out what you want to play with. Is that, that good day. or bad? And I think that that's a great thing. Yeah, because it could be used to man- manipulate too, if you believe a certain way of teaching. Oh, it could be a way to to, to definitely uh, uh, prime students or uh, a dogma or, or yeah. I forget. That's not those aren't the words I'm thinking about, but exactly. But but the point is, is that I, I don't know why as adults we think we don't need that. Like as right. adults, we we go, oh, we want clean lines. We just put up a t-. like, like if you think about it, for most people. M- 99% of the stimulation is coming from the television and or radio, the internet, yeah. right? Internet, television, things like that. And where y- you are at the be- behest, is that the word, of corporations. So now you're asking the corporation to tell you what to think, what to activate, what to do, what to react to, what to respond to versus creating your own environment Right. That stimulates your brain in a way. I think that's so positive, but I also seen people that do it in a way where it's not good for them. How so? Um, I walked into this guy's house one night. So basically, he was uh, my gym teacher, right? And I beat him in shot put um, in front of all the kids in eighth grade. He was laughed at. Um, I got 17 meters, he got 15, and he was the coach. So f- 20 years later, I see him in a gas station, and the first thing he says, like, hey, Jostle, I beat your record. And I'm like, what record? He's like, remember the shot put? I go, no. And he reminded me that I – and I go, yeah, I remember that. I was eighth grade. All the kids were cheering me because right. I beat you by two meters. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, I, I beat it. I'm like, okay, c- congratulations. You 
you, do you have to tell me that? He was like, oh, I'm also a, a motivational, I'm trying to get into motivational speaking. Why don't you come in my house? I have come from, I went, okay. So I went to his house. As soon as I walked in, I saw all these quotes of, you know, you do this. You know, it's like, you know how those people put quotes on Facebook? Yeah. I, and the people that do it the most are the craziest. Right, right. Because they really don't have a sense of self, and they're looking for other people to guide them. Right. And now they're just picking quotes of anything. Yeah. He had too many quotes. And I was uh, like, okay, that's too much now. Yeah. I understand stimulation, yes. but now you are trying to hypnotize yourself in some level. Yeah. To say this is it. And then guess what? And the week later, it will be torn down and a new version will come up. Uh, it's people that jump to too much therapy, too. Yeah. The same people. Yeah. Like they, they, they go, they praise this therapist or this mentor, and right away, within a four or five months, they go, they're the worst people in the world. You know, because they can't. They can't just take simplicity and use that to grow. They have to use. They have to be too complicated and picking too many quotes and too many theories and too many. Because there's a thousand ways to get better in a self help, different self help books. But you kind of have to pick the one that fits you, right? And really just stick with it and not try to be everything. This guy just didn't stick with what he liked. I one of my ex girlfriends said that to me. I remember one day she was like. Do you think you're reading too much? And it's something that still sticks with me to this day because I definitely run through a bunch of self-help books. And I'm like, oh, my, I like the book I'm reading now. Right now, I'm like, this is the book, and this book is amazing, and I can't wait to digest it, and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm always jumping from, like, Zen to prayer to God. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm all I'm, – I'm, I'm, I jump all over the place. And I recognize that – you know, if you keep switching lanes, eventually you're going to crash. Wow. And you know who said that to me? What? Orlando Leba. Right. Orlando Leba is a, a comedian. And, Dominican uh, guy? Huh? Dominican? Yeah, Dominican. Yeah. DR. Yep. And uh, we were coming from a show in, um, if you keep switching, I'm writing it down. If Ice House? Because I remember doing a show with you guys too. Yeah, but this show was, uh, we were like in Phoenix or somewhere. Okay. We were like Tempe or something. We were driving back. And, you know, Michael Yo was me, Michael Yo in Orlando, and Michael Yo drove us down there. And then coming back, I drove. And when I drive, I'm constantly switching lane. I'm, I'm always looking for the mm -hmm. next opening, whatever. And Orlando was like, he's like, do you crash a lot? And I was like, no. And he was like, he's like, because if you keep switching lanes, you're going to crash. And I was like, wow. And it just made me think about, because one thing I know I do struggle with is I love to start new projects, and not finish but them? not finish them. Yeah. And there's this book called Strength Finders 2.0, and it said that um, you know my my strength is ideas. I always have great ideas. You know, even when I was in college and and if I was in a group and they were like, "All right, so what are we gonna do?" The group would always go with my idea, mm -hmm. um, and. But I know I've always been, my challenge has always been finishing what I've started. Right. And, and so the strength 2.0 was like, I need to find an executioner. Because there are people who know how to execute, but they're not great with ideas. Right. And I was like, wow. You know, mm -hmm. so for the, for the listeners out there who, you know, this idea that you can just do things yourself, you can't. You have to find somebody who compliments you, and not in a way that where they are doing the same thing that you do, but where they're they're picking up your slack, which 
has a negative connotation. But you do essentially want someone who picks up your slack and then you two become a whole. Like if you look at Steve Jobs and Wozniak, Wozniak picked up the slack of Jobs because Jobs didn't know how to build computers, but he had the great ideas and he knew how to push people and assemble teams. He just didn't know how to make what happened what he had yeah. in his head. Right. So you want someone to pick up your slack, actually. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, that's great. And is there something where um, is there a person who does it on their own without anybody? Because that's really hard to find. Because even if you talk about film producers, directors, or whatnot, they pick people that. They that the, they could do a job they can't do because it's all, you know anybody that works on a Marvel movie, you can't do you can't be one person. There has to be a person that does the graphics, right. and editing, whatever. Right. But there's, there's a reason a, why the credits at the end of a movie. Right. It's like a million people working on. But it. But when you start a self project, and you need someone to help you execute, right? Is that a self project still, or is it a two person thing? Like like let's say Steve Jobs, and the other guy without each other they wouldn't they would have had the success they had right so but it, but there's certain things that we can do on our own but on our own but there are certain things that you do need another person to help you with and that could be a therapist or that could be a mentor a teacher a book right and so you don't need a person you don't always need that person with you right. but we all reach a place in our career in our relationship and in, in whatever we're trying to do where we're trying to break through to the next level. Right. And that's, and that's why, you know, uh, whether you call them a, a mentor, a therapist, a coach, a consultant, that even companies, you think about that. Companies, when they're trying to scale or grow or trying to fix something or there's a challenge that they don't know quite how to address, mm-hmm. they bring in consultants. Right. That's, you know, even if you look at, um, uh, Alabama, uh, uh, you know, one of the, the uh, top performing college football teams ever. Every year, Nick Saban, the coach of the, the Alabama Crimson Tide, he brings in a Kobe Bryant, a Mike Tyson, a Elon Musk to talk to the team, to to make sure that he's giving his players and the coaches and and, and feeding the culture uh, uh a mindset to help them get to the next level. Because successful people, uh, whether they got it by fluke or they're just natural, saw the lane. Absolutely. And so giving us that information, it's like this. I think in an interview with Eddie Murphy, he was saying, you know, I just focused on something and it happened to get there. And sometimes when you do that, you get there. But sometimes when you do that, you don't get there, but you should have a backup plan and this and that. But, you know, if you do believe in something and you go for it, you do have a certain amount of years that you could get there. But then there's a part where you can't just keep doing it. You'll be homeless still trying to do that. I saw a guy f- sp- uh, pirouetting in the corner. He was a homeless man. And he's a really good dancer, like 60. And he asked me for some change, and I gave him a couple bucks. Like, oh, you're a really great dancer. He's like, yeah, I was Madonna's backup dancer. He told me about this Bristol board, showed me all these pictures of him, same jacket. I'm like, dude, man, you're really? He's like, yeah. Like, what happened? And he looked at me, he was like, crack. I'm like, like I'm, I should have known. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, crack. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. 
And they kicked him out, and he was doing backup dances for smaller bands and then music videos, and all of a sudden he found himself homeless. And he's like, but I'm still auditioning on the streets, man. Uh, you know, I'm still going to be, you'll s- he goes, you'll see me on TV again. You'll see me on, he's, what did he said? He said, you'll see me on Casey Kasem. I'm like, that's done. Like wow. he, he How much f- crack did he do? He was probably still on it. Because he said Casey Kasem. Wow. I'm like, that's in the 80s. Like he, he, you know what? L.A. has the most talented homeless people I've ever met in my life. Oh, absolutely. And they never came from a different, the struggle of the other countries and the other uh, states. They were dreamers like us that happened to get drug problems or, or they didn't, they were not self-aware, but they did have some kind of mental breakdown or problem that stopped them from seeing reality after. Uh, there was a guy um, I saw in, in Venice who had a harness, he had drapes behind him, and he's like, a dollar a dollar for 10 jokes, dollar for 10 jokes, and he had like a little microphone here and it had a speaker on his shoulder, gave him a dollar, and he gave me these fast boom, 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 boom. I'm like, holy shit. I give him another, it's like boom. I go, where are you from? He's like, well, he's like 80. He used to be a warm-up warm up act in like Ed Sullivan show. Wow. And then he was just like, and then, you know, Carlin and Eddie Murphy just, or Carlin and, and Pryor came in and they just changed comedy and the one-liner guy's dead. I go, well, he came back in the 80s with Stephen Wright. He's like, it did? I go, yeah. And then Mitch Hedberg and Jamicia Martin. He's like, oh, man. I'm like, it wasn't, it didn't just die. Right. He literally is when he probably in his head went, I'm never gonna get a job again. Yeah. And he just did what he did to make money. And I go, You could also charge five dollars for ten jokes. Like people will pay more. Yeah. He's like, Oh really? I'm like, Yeah, you could he he made seventy five dollars a day. But how crazy is that? What 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 kind of life is that? That that is that's what that's what gonna happen to people comedians or entertainers or dancers that have that have no self awareness and someone never said stop doing this? Yeah, because you can't tell someone to stop doing that, right? Because it is really their passion. So really, maybe they would. Yeah, but been but dead. really, but it's it's a couple things going on in there. One is it's their passion. The other one is also fear of what else am I going to do, and what if that doesn't work? Like right. like the thing is, his situation isn't bad enough for him to want to change. Right. You know what I'm saying? He's like, yeah, this sucks. I'm out here on the street making seventy five, but it's he's surviving. Yeah. Right, and he hasn't. And he, he probably doesn't think that there's a lane for him to thrive. Right. And he's like, this is probably as good as it's going to be. He doesn't want to lose where he's at. Yeah, because you know? that, that means it's done. And maybe nobody's, it's not, life is not worth living for some people. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing. To like, we're not, I'm not, I don't have the right, I don't have no right to tell somebody your dreams are done. Yeah. Because you've seen an American Idol or any kind of, you know, AG, uh, AT with the America's Got Talent where, Somebody from the homeless mood has an incredible voice. Oh, oh yeah, that, who was that one lady. That, so yeah. who am I to tell them this? Right. No, nothing could right. happen. Right. It could happen. Somebody may see this guy doing a pirouette and go, you know what? Let's do a homeless video of this dude in the background that nobody knows that's that, and a, and a person that's disabled that can dance, but they're just from the streets. Like, I, re- I remember breaking the movie. Remember breaking? Yeah, yeah. And then so the girl. Uh, Kelly Kay was talking to Ozone and she's just like cause you know dancing is about it is like what you talking about come here and he brings her to Venice Beach he's like he sees a man who's uh, not only disabled mentally disabled but physically disabled Yeah. and then he starts doing a head spin and he starts breaking and people are going crazy he's like now that's dancing 
and a, and a tear, and a, everybody in the audience just went, "That is dancing." What? <laughs> <laughs> and that was that scene till today. It, it, I'm like, wow, wow. This guy that was probably homeless. He 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 had no uh, limited use of his legs. Was obviously mentally disabled. Was dancing, pop locking first, and all of a sudden, windmilling, backspinning, head spinning, and people were. Lo- and I was like, "Yeah, it had nothing to do with money. This is dancing. I yeah. can't tell him no, not to right. do that shit. I can't tell this homeless person not to uh, do that." Because there's also on the flip side, there's also a freedom that they have. Because more than us, more than us, because they're doing exactly what they want to do with no money, no money, and that's that's they have an audience freedom. Absolutely, it's it's homelessness though, like it's almost uh, when you're on the streets. uh, What's busking? That's you have nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. You're not. You're not. You don't have a time schedule. You're the 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 club managers and say you can't do this joke, this joke. The cruise person says you 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 can't do this. You can't do this. You can't. This person said, fuck that all shit. I'm just doing what I want to do. And a lot of comics are like that, too. A lot of comics are like, fuck the cruises, fuck the corporates, fuck the road, fuck the... I'm staying in a city yep. and just doing what I want to do. But it has to be done like this. No, I just want to do what I want to do. Hey, man, more power. But only 2% of the people can kind of do what they want to do. Right. You know, it's just hard to do that. <laughs> Especially if you already have a family and kids and things like that. At f- let me ask you this. At 45, and we touched on it a little bit, you know, having taken care of your mom for so long, and and I understand that stand up is a is a, a challenge in having relationships, right? Yep. Just because of the time and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else ha- have you seen? Like, how, how should I put this? What's the other challenge with relationships? Do you find it a, a, diffi- a difficult um, connecting? Uh, and what I mean is like, because you've been a caretaker yeah. of a woman. Right. And so do you find yourself being a caretaker and now, or wanting to be? Um, uh, or, uh, you know two what I mean? things happen that I've noticed uh, after my mom died. I do not want to take care of anybody. Okay. I've that that was five lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of work I did, the amount of taking care and and the amount of I guess um what would you call it? Caretaker work I would I've done for my mom. Yeah. Was somebody's lifetime times five. Because I did it since I was six. I was changing diapers. Like, come on man. Wow. I was cooking breakfast, lunch and dinner at seven. I had to put a stool in front of the stove and learn how to crack an egg. Yeah. Because my dad would be like, Okay, I'm going to work. And it's and uh, and uh, it's f- Sunday or my dad would work weekends too, and he'd be like, "You take care of your mom until I come back at five. Or if it was a school day, my mom would be in the wheelchair, and I'd come back from school for lunch, you know, change her catheter or something, give her cook some food, and go back to school. So it was always you got to go back home. You got to at a dance club, at twenty one years old, twenty two. Grinding up with some girl that I'm uh, having the time of her life, music, beeper, boop, 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 go home right now, mom's sick. Hey, sorry guys. Well, it's wrong, it's only 1230. You know, so it was always, I had to always go back home kind of thing, right? So what I've learned is I'm sick of that shit. I don't want to do any taking care of anybody anymore. 
I remember one time I was dating this girl and she was being an idiot because she got, she had, she was like, she was drinking and all of a sudden, um, I don't know, she did some, uh, uh, basically she went to the hospital. She blacked out from drinking? She, she, I don't know, she didn't black out, but she was, she did something, they kicked her out of the bar and all of a sudden she's on the street and, and she wasn't really a girlfriend, she was, I was dating her for like a couple of weeks. And then she calls me, she's like, I'm in the hospital. Oh, my God, help me. Like, Can you come with me? So I go there, and the doctor goes, says, uh, no, she's just been drinking. She's, she's just, we checked her, th- her, her blood level, and she's, she, she pr- she's saying she's dying, and she's not. She's saying she just was like, she was actually not, she was just not there. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, what, what did she, ha- what, what can I do to help? She's like, nothing. Like, honestly, I just go back home because she has to sober up, and that's all her thing. Wow. And so I went home. And then she calls me. She's like, you just left me here by myself? Da-da-da-da. I go, yeah. You have to sober up. What am I going to do, sit and wait for you? Do you know I had to do that for my mom when yeah. she was on her deathbed? You right. think this compares to that? I go, I just go fucking ship up, man, or get the fuck out of my life. Like, really, you're you're a child. Right. You you got, you got know that you're you're not, you, you are how you are as an as a drinker and you shouldn't we, 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 we didn't plan to go drinking and I was we were supposed to go out and all of a sudden you're in a bar and I'm like deal with it I'm not I'm not your babysitter I'm not your caretaker I'm not nothing anymore mm-hmm. and that w- that goes for everybody that I deal with in my life unless something seriously happens you're right outside of your control you you, you know yeah I, I right. will be there in a drop of a dime right if any of my friends family close friends need me but it better be real it better be serious not no bullshit I want to be taking. I want someone to look over over me while I'm sobering up. No, I don't care if your arm broke. That's not good enough. <laughs> you have to be close to death, and I'll I'll do I'll step in now. So that's happened. Yeah. And also, um, I need I just need ultimate freedom to do. But I will compromise, right? So I'm dating a a, a woman right now who has her own career. She was also she she she's she's our comedy when I started comedy twenty two years ago, mm. right? And she does it for fun, but she makes a lot of money doing what she does, right? And I like the fact that she's busy. Right. I like the fact that that she doesn't I don't have to call her all the time and she doesn't have to call me all the time. It's so casual and no headache. And I think that when I've had passionate relationships, it just caused more problems. Because it flames out, it burns out. You can't maintain you that can't level maintain of passion. passion. No. no, it never does. It right. turns into what I'm doing right now, or it doesn't turn into this. The expectation to com- always have passion. I, I I dated this woman. I think she, uh, she had definitely some psychological problems because she went to see three therapists a week, and she went to OA. I mean, uh, AA, and she wanted me to connect her in that level. So she wanted me to go to OA because she thought I ate too much. So I'm like. Really? So she was she was gaslighting me. So I believed it, right? So I went. I was in Australia, and she's like, "Look, I go look. I'm not gonna research and find an OA place. It's just like there's one at the there's a meeting at the bottom of your hotel. Just go." I go there. Everybody in this room was there's 40 people in the room. Most of them were women that were over 400 pounds, uh, or anorexic, like two three anorexic uh, men and fe- and women that were 60 pounds. And I walked in, and they looked at me like, 
the auditions for the Samoan bo- boxer is not here. Like they looked at me like you're not supposed to be here, and I. But they didn't say it. They just sort of like, I go, uh, can we help? I'm like, this is OA. Like, yeah, have a seat and hold each other's hands. Everybody was going around the circle talking about their problems, right? Now, there, this is people that cannot manage their lives because of their food addictions. It's the same book as the AA book. They just cross out alcohol, alcohol and with food. food. The girl is going around. This girl beside me, she's 400 pounds. She's crying. She's like, well, my, my family left me. I lost my job. I couldn't stop eating for 72 hours. My husband came down after the 48th hour and said, look, if you don't stop eating, we're going to leave. We're going to go to my sister's house and you deal with this problem because we can't do it anymore. And they left her. And she and they, she kept eating. Wow. She just couldn't stop. And everybody related to her and cried. And then it's my turn. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I was like, okay, think of what you did crazy recently. I go, I, uh, I bought a full bottle of Coke Zero. I put it on my side table. And throughout the night, I kept drinking it, and then there was no more in the morning. And I heard silence. (laughs) (laughs) And they go, next. (laughs) I couldn't think of something. Yeah, yeah. You know, but realistically, my my addictive food addiction was based on me trying to make my mom happy. Right, and it was just more of a habit versus like... And it's still a habit because right. when I'm sad, I kind of want it. Yeah, right? But it's I, I can manage my life. Uh, alcohol, anonymous or overeaters anonymous or any places like that. Uh, the major thing it is is they cannot manage their life, so they have to go there. Mm. They lose things in their life. They cannot go to school, work, or deal with the fans or the family right. anymore. So they need somebody or a group of people. For some reason, they don't know why it works, but a group of people that all surrender to their addiction, it works. They don't know why. There's no science behind it. It it. makes sense. I have a buddy who was celibate for a year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that had to be hard. He goes, it wasn't hard in the beginning because he had a community of people who were on that same page. Right. Who who believed in uh, uh, being celibate until you got married. He said, but then he moved, and then he didn't have that community anymore. And he goes that's where it became a challenge. Right, right. And 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 I think that uh you know this goes back earlier to what we we're talking about of like finding somebody who can execute or f- uh, somebody who compliments or whatever um the it's all about what what makes it easier for you is if you you can find a culture uh that uh, that has the same values as you do. And if you can't find a culture then then you have to create that culture, which is what uh, you know Steve Jobs and and Google and all these all these companies do is like they create a culture. They have my buddy who works at Google. They have a thing called uh, uh, go, wait Googleicity Google uh, Googly Google something mm-hmm. where it's like just be goofy or be silly. Right, you know right, what I'm right. saying? And just uh, be good, be good and silly or something like that. But you know, so you either have to find a culture or find a city or find an environment or create that for yourself with the, whatever you're putting on your walls or telling yourself mm-hmm. or what you're reading or how you're talking to people. Like, you can recruit people into your vision, mm-hmm. right, uh, versus uh, trying to, you know, that's, 
on the negative side, that's what like a Charles Manson did, right? Like he had a, a, a vision, an idea, and he recruited people mm-hmm. into that. Vision. Yeah. So you can, you can use it for good he or bad. Able to do. He probably couldn't kill somebody. You say it again. He probably couldn't kill someone. Oh no, he, he definitely. Oh no, he definitely <laughs> took out a couple. Uh, oh, did he? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I thought he had people do it for him. He but did, but he, he also he was... yeah. He had no problem. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. He was he was straight gangster. Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, you could like you said, but anything can. There's always a, a light and dark side to, to most things, but uh, but yeah, like you're you're so right. It's like I dated a girl who. She was uh, going to school for uh, uh, to be a doctor, and it was it was great because she was so busy yes. with studying and all that stuff. Like the emotional stuff, we didn't ha- we never had to get into, right? Because she's she's saving lives uh, at the hospital, yeah. and then she's coming home and she has like twenty books that she has to right. to read through. So it's like it's, everything it's a was very boom, mature boom, 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 person boom. because when you're put in a situation like me at six to take care of somebody and her as an adult taking care of millions, uh, hundreds of people that are dying every day, that is such a high pressured uh, reality that it kind of matures you. And it, it, it gives it, you perspective. It gives you perspective. It makes you see all the bullshit that is not really important. So I'm dating this girl who really doesn't have a job. You know, she d- she goes to the meetings, uh, uh, Alcoholic Anonymous, and then she goes to her therapist, and she does, like, she's, re- she's the cute girl. She, so she works at a, uh, a coat check. She makes $400 one day of work a week, $400 a week. That's, that fixed up her whole life. But then she has, you know, the whole the whole rest of the week to do nothing. And to think about, like, what you said or didn't say yeah. or how you said so it. <laughs> it was just her mind was just all centered on what I'm doing. What's a gaslighting? It's telling someone that they have a problem that you don't have, that they don't have. It comes from, I can't remember, but it comes like as old, I think in England where there was a gas lamp outside and then the this person said, the guy, there's no light there. And then his wife or his wife or his or her husband was like, there is, but there wasn't. They were like, they were fucking it up. So the person no longer had an understanding who they were and believed everything the other person said, so they were controlled and manipulated. And um, she would tell me that I had problems that I didn't have. And I believed everything she said because you, you believe people that you're in a relationship with. Gaslighting is, uh, yeah, manipulating by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Uh, in the first episode, Karen Valentine is being gaslighted by her husband. The what gas? All right, here are examples of gaslighting in a relationship. Okay. Oh, okay. So the term comes from the 1938 stage play Gaslight, in which a husband tried to drive his crazy wife by dimming the gas-powered lights in their home. Oh, tried to drive his wife crazy by dimming the gas-powered lights in their home. When his wife points out the change in light, he denies that the light changed at all. It's an excellent blah, 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 blah. Wow. So an example of gaslighting in a relationship looks like this. Quote, why are you making things up? End quote. Uh, or 
you are so jealous or are you sure you tend to have a bad memory uh, or it's all in your head. Wow. Gaslighting makes the victim question their own feelings, instincts, sanity, uh, makes people think they're crazy. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've never, yeah. Uh, so she was high level gaslighter. She high level. She was the highest level. I've I've never met somebody that was so good at that, because her mom was that, and her and her dad was that. You know, so she comes from a, a family that never said they loved each other, never hugged each other. They all gaslighted each other. So that's all her way of connecting. That's how she deals with life. She gaslights. You know. It's unbelievable. Like, I believed I was cheating because she thought I was cheating. Like, you know how crazy it, yeah. she was. Like, <laughs> she was like, "What are you doing? I'm being a judge on this cruise for a booty shaking co- or orgasm contest." She's like, "Okay," and I showed a video. So I'm sitting on a chair, and some girls like booty uh, is 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 faking an orgasm or whatever, and then she's and I have to be the judge and say that's whatever out of ten, you know. And some girls were sitting on me and just grinding or whatever. And I happened to just, I wanted to be so honest in the relationship, so I showed that video. And she's like, well, that's cheating. I go, well, I'm getting paid as an MC on this cruise to do this. Right. Like, I'm doing a karaoke thing. I'm actually doing stand-up, and I'm doing this. It's I'm the judge. The fact that they sat on me, I had no control of that. And only two girls sat on me that were over 50. <laughs> right, which was, and the rest of them were just just doing the voice of the orgasm on yeah. their own, and she was like, "No, that is cheating. You've cheated on me." And I'm, I go, "I have." She's like, "Yeah, that's that means I get to go out and cheat somebody." Wow. And I'm like, "No, that's not the same, Ron. She sat on you and grinded herself on you." I go, "Nothing touched." She's like, "Doesn't matter. That's a." And I'm like, "Wait, is this cheating? Like, it was so." Because I look back now, and go, it wasn't cheating. This is your job. But, and you may be jealous or you may not like it, but it's not me wanting to do this. I'm getting paid. They happened to do what they wanted to do. I had no control of that. The, the cruise director even said, if you did it, you'd be in trouble. But the fact that they did it, that's not your fault. You can actually get them in trouble if you wanted to. you know. And so I was every second, I was like, I don't know if I'm, I'm a good person in this relationship. Right, right. Because she's like, why don't you take two months off comedy? I'm like, well, I can't. Wow. I goes, yeah, well, we have to, to work on a relationship. I'm like, well, I can't take two months because if I don't take these gigs, my agent and my manager will probably go for the next person on the roster that could. And eventually it was like, no, if you're that good, they will do whatever. They, they will come back. You can come back after two months and they'll say, sure, we missed you. I go, you're not even in my industry. That's not how it works. And she's like, if you if you don't have confidence in yourself, then that's Whoa. why you're not doing it. I'm like, holy shit! I don't have any confidence in myself. She has a point, but she doesn't have a point. Right? I'm not Absolutely. Famous. Like, I'm not it's like she's not she's not wrong. She's not but wrong. She's <laughs> but she's not in my industry and not knows that I, the pull I have right now. Like, let's see, someone like uh, I remember uh, Chris Chris D'Elia, or uh, I think he was saying something like saying, "Say no more." then yes, and you'll get more things that you th- that you can never have. You're in a position where you can do that, dude. But we all can do that. But then you're pr- you have to also be prepared to walk away from comedy. I have to be prepared to walk away from comedy if my manager or my agent says no more. 
we can't have you canceling everything, you know, for two months because we have a next person that's ready and just as good as you. Wow. So I said, I can't do that. And she's like, well, my therapist says you're, you're, you're not a narcissist, but you're an egotist. And to date an egotist, you basically have to uh, tell them that you have to give my, me my time now because comedy is taken away from our relationship. And I'm just like, your your therapist said that she's like, and I'm like, I'm really getting confused right now. Yeah, because now you know, it's PhD doctor. You're like, maybe you know, the doctor. I don't have a doctorate. Yeah, and I'm like, do I have to step away from comedy? You know, like it, it made me think the weirdest things. And she was like, take two months. And then she said three months. I go, you said two, <laughs> two, three, whatever, five, six. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, true, whatever. And I was willing to do that. And then what snapped that where you didn't? Well, okay, it got so bad where, like, um, <laughs> I went to Hawaii to do a show. And then from Hawaii, I went to China. So Hawaii, I'm doing a show, and she's like, who goes to Hawaii for comedy? I'm like, people do. Hmm. You know, there's something not right about this. And then eventually, I went to, uh, after the show, she would constantly be on Skype with me. She'd be calling me. Can I Skype you right now? I'm doing a show. Well, let's just can I just say hi before your show? So I'm like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Where are you? I'm in the green room. Pan around. The comps are like, wow. yo, man, don't put me on video. I'm just like, okay, thanks. And after that, after the show, she'd be like, are you show done? Yeah. Where are you? I'm at the after party. Oh, you're not going to go back to your hotel room? I was like, oh, I want to talk to you. We, we You promised we're going to talk. Okay. Well, I'm at the after party. It's part of the business. Oh, your business is now getting drunk and hanging out with hot chicks? I'm like, no, there are, there is that, but we have to st stick around after the show because more shit can happen. You know, it's your networking. You c if you kill, stick around. If you bomb, get the fuck out of there, right? Right, right. But, and, and she's like, so I get back to the hotel after that. She's upset. We're talking. She's like, pan around. I go, what? She's like, do you have another family? you tell me about? So she's just like just building up charges against you. And I'm just like, whoa, this is now right. you have a mental yeah. problem. Yeah. Because now you're thinking things that no longer are no are not even true. You're just creating these things. So at that point, I'm like, I got to get away from this person because it's causing uh, emotional distress. And, yeah, and, and it, it's uh, messing up your comedy game. My comedy game, everything. It's just like, you know what? I don't want to be in a relationship where someone doesn't trust me, even though I haven't done anything. Right. And I don't want to be in a relationship where I have to constantly prove to you that I'm trustworthy. You know, give me the benefit of the doubt. It's like you're on you're on trial all the time. All the time, you know? And, you know, and she did, and, there, and, and so, like, uh, I'm reading there are four gaslighting techniques, and it sounds like she did all, or five of them. That she did. Six one. So, uh, countering, countering is a classic example like what the husband did with the wife uh, in the original Gaslight. This is when the abuser makes the victim question what happened with statements like, "Huh? That's not what happened. Your memory is so crappy. It didn't happen that way." Uh, the other one is withholding. That's a way of gaslighting, and that's when the abusive partner pretends they don't understand or just won't listen. So they say things like, why do you keep saying things like this? I don't want to hear this again. Right. You are making stuff up. Yeah, yeah. The other technique is called diverting, 
The victim's thoughts are questioned or the abuser diverts the subject. It can go like this. You're imagining things. Or, oh, great, this is what you got from blah, blah, blah. And then the last two are um, uh, repetitive questioning. They'll say things like, are you sure? Do you really think so? And then the last one is trivializing. You are too sensitive. You're, you're just so mm-hmm. jealous. You're going to get up. You're going to get all upset over something so small. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was like you question you, who you are as a person if I'm doing the right or wrong thing and if I'm hurting somebody. And, I, and then eventually, you know, t- dating a girl after that, that was normal, would say, that's your job. If she didn't want you want to be in a relationship th- with a person that did that as a job, then she should have said, don't think I can do that. I don't want to invest. I, I don't think I can handle this type of job you have. You know, I, she should have just went, you know, it's bothering me. And so you can say, well, I can't change this. We can compromise on some level. Yeah. But there was no talk of that. There was more just like, like when I flew 14 hours to, to, uh, from China to Australia, as soon as I landed, I had over a thousand messages that says, you are, you are, you are, you're, you're selfish. You only care about yourself. You're, you don't even call me. And then finally I find the Wi-Fi in Australia, and I still had, I, in 45 minutes, my new flight was going to fly to, from Sydney to Gold Coast, it was just yelling. I'm like, I flew for Everything's in all caps. Yeah, but and then I, I called her for the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Because I had Google call or whatever, and she's just like, you're supposed to call me two hours ago. I'm like, I'm flying. I don't care. I'm like, well, that's not realistic. I don't care for shit. I'm like, how are you angry that I'm on a flight? There's no possible way I could have called you. You better call me 10 p.m. tonight or it's over. I'm like, then it's going to be over because I can't guarantee I can call you at 10 p.m. Like, you know, maybe you should wait until I land and situate myself in a hotel and then give you a call. No. How did you meet the girl you have now? Uh, we were on tour uh, overseas in the military uh, tour. Oh, and, right. then I, and she was just this cool person. And we just started yeah. hanging out. And every day was just so fun and cool. And all of a sudden, we just kept hanging out here after yeah. the tour. And then we just started really liking each other. And then that was it. And it wasn't, I don't feel it was, it was just, I've never had a clear head like that before where someone understood everything I did. Right. Where there was no, like, I don't understand why you do have to do this and this and that. And, like, even the girlfriends that were nicer before the last one yeah. was still, like, this is really hard for me to deal with because, uh, you know, I have a schedule that's 9 to 5. I'm open on Friday, Saturday, and those are the times. And uh, this is this is exactly where yeah. I can see you. Yeah. And if it's not on paper, on my schedule, I can't change it. And I live, my life is about change. You're right. Every my day. My life is about change. I like that. My life is is only about change, and in fact, if it gets too schedulely, <laughs> is schedulely a word? No, <laughs> but it's my word. But if it's, it becomes too much of a schedule, I really break it. I just break it off. I go, you know what? I'm going to Vegas right now. You know how many times I just I just drive to San Francisco, Vegas, San Diego. I just go, you know what? I'm picking up a runner. I could set up a gig, and just go away for the weekend or the or three four days. Just to get out of that schedule routine. Really? Yeah. I just pick them and go. You know what? I'm gonna fly to there. I'll fly, and I can pick. 
I think what I've done for the last 20 years is created uh, a network of people and friends that are considered really close friends of mine that will book me anytime I want. So I can go, you know what? I want to go overseas. You know, uh, people in Australia, they really like me. So I have a guy that sets up all one-nighters. You get $250 a show, seven shows a week, and sometimes two or three shows in one day. So that's a lot of money. Right. And, and, they fl- uh, and the comedy store, their agency is called Century. I've been working for them for 10 years. So they fly me down. I'll do a run with their one-nighters on their theater tour. That's basically the Sydney Comedy Festival on the road. And then their comedy club. You know, so uh, I can call Asia and do that. And I can call five, maybe ten places in the U.S. that will say, what do you want? I'll, I'll book you next, in next month. You know, Reno, L.A., I mean, uh, Vegas, Canada. I started there for my first ten years there. Right. I could, I'm always booked there June and December because of Christmas and my brother and my dad's birthday and my nephew's birthday. Uh-huh. So I go there June and Canada and December every week. So I only have to worry about eight months. That's pretty dope, man. You know what's interesting, and and um, the 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 reason, one of the reasons why I want to have you on a podcast and 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 why I love talking to you is um, because, well, one is I mean, there's always the selfish reasons for things, but one is I re, you know going back to creating an environment that reinforces your beliefs and your thoughts and your ideas. But really making sure that those are your own, not just taking something you saw off Facebook or Instagram right. and putting that up. But I bought a map. I have a map in my room of, of the world. And uh, my thing is performing globally, right? Right. And when you really get clear on your m- purpose and your mission, mm-hmm. what happens is is that it becomes part of your vocabulary. And then you start to draw people to you who are like-minded. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that's like how we met. Like I, I think I was talking about maybe performing overseas and you're like, I perform overseas and then you gave me some contacts and I followed through with those contacts like in yeah. 24 hours. And you were like, dude, nobody follows up. With I give that to at least one person a month. Yeah. But not as much anymore because I realize they don't care about it. They don't care. They and don't I'm care. Like, I'm like, you could book yourself in 20 countries. I have access to 30 countries. Right. And I'll give you the information if you want to do it. Yeah. Sometimes they say no, and sometimes they say yes, but at least give it a try. Yeah. Right. And I also wouldn't vouch for somebody that wasn't good. So some people just don't call. Don't send it's it's insane to me. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And and so you know that that's a, that's one thing to unpack is like a lot of times we have these opportunities in front of us, and for one or one reason or the other, usually it's fear. That um, I don't have a name and nobody knows me. I'm 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 kind of like that comic, that is the fly on the wall where I kind of know. I've been I've been in LA since 2000. Yeah. So I remember <laughs> eating with comics that were not famous. Yeah. That before, like right. me, I remember Just for Laughs 2004. I'm with Kevin Hart, you know, and Little Kev. You know, nobody knew who he was. Right. Right. I remember eating, you know. Uh, Dupars with Chris Dillia his first year. Yeah, you know, so you see everybody. You've met. Every, they kind of know who I am. Like, yeah, that's like I know him. Yeah, but I don't stick around enough for them to have a. For them, that's my boy, right? Yeah, right, right, yeah, right, right. right. But that's what I'm trying to do now. More have the street cred. Yeah. But 
I'm the guy that is experienced too and has good uh, good knowledge and has a lot of contacts overseas and a different POV of how to get comedy. But because I don't have no name and nobody really knows me, there's no voucher. There's no, there's no. Oh, that guy is 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Because I never established that in their eyes. But but what yeah. you have been doing is you've been planting seeds all across the world. Yeah. So you have these seeds, and and these seeds are in some places they're trees. In some places they're plants. Yeah. In some places they're still seeds. Right. But they're but they're all you, you've pollinated the world with your stand up and your connections and the people that you know. And because of the climates, right? Like right. some places are a little sunnier than others, so those seeds grow faster. You know that is just metaphorically speaking. Right. And so in LA, you're, now you're really watering those seeds. And, yeah, because it's real. It's yeah. a real thing. Like it's kind of like when Russell blew up, um, he. Was, he, when he, he finally moves to LA and nobody really knows him but they know of him he still had to hang out for people to trust him Yeah. and say hey I could really put you on as open for me and give you a couple of grand per show Yeah. Uh, who is this guy oh, let's do it holy shit this is real this guy sold out 15,000 people everybody heard about it but nobody really felt it and was there mm-hmm. and seen him and felt him as a person so you still got to do your leg and street work to get that credibility i don't care how famous you are or bi- you're big overseas or you're fucking big on the net you still got to create that right i don't have that but i do have 20 years of experience of how to get gigs overseas and contacts yeah you know? so it was like for the listeners out there it's like these people who we we think that are really successful and really thriving, they're only thriving in certain areas. Very mm-hmm. few people are, are are killing it. Like The Rock is a, a is global. Like yeah. a, a, you know, Michael Jackson is global. Yeah. But but the people who are right under him, they got to do a lot of legwork in places. You know, they just can't release a movie no. in Asia and expect it to do well. They got to go to Asia. Hang out, yeah. uh, do a lot of press, a lot right. of TV, a lot of radio. The Rock could put out a movie in Asia, and boom, it's gonna yeah. blow. But he would still, The Rock, still at his level, still goes over there to do the legwork. So if if you're thinking, if you're in a position where you feel like, well, I shouldn't have to do this. I've established myself. I shouldn't have to do it. I shouldn't have to come in early or stay late. It's like, no, man. There's always work to be done there's work to be done on yourself there's work to be done on your relationship there's work to be done uh at your on your job and your hobbies there's always something to do it never ends it never ends unless you decide i want to end it. right and then and then if it ends what are you you getting out of bed for right so either you either there are opportunities being presented to you or you're creating those opportunities Uh, or and uh, and so it's, it's you know you want to be always having your be doing both having opportunities brought to you but also still generating opportunities versus waiting for somebody to do something uh, for you you know yeah and it's kind of like um, if you are a comic that lives in LA New York I use that as the meccas and you've been around enough for them to trust you and say you know what people vouch for this person. They've been around. They've grinded. It's been ten years. You know, you will get more opportunities for things. I don't care if someone's new and kills in a showcase. This person knows you and has 
has history. I was watching this video about this guy who, who's kind of is like a, he 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 takes care of these lions, and it, the, 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 he's uh, from Australia. And he lives, I think, he lives in in Africa. Oh no, Australia. Maybe it's in Af- I can't remember where it is, but he takes care of these lions from from birth, right? And people were like, "That's incredible." He's like, "Yeah, but I've built that." Like you think it's unbelievable. These animals can rip my head off any second. Would you do that to your brother? Would you do that to a friend that you've known for ten years? No, they can't do that to me. They, if anything, they'll kill me by mistake, right? Because they're trying to save me. But right. they really don't want to hurt me because I'm exactly like how you are with your brother or your baby. So it looks crazy from afar, but you don't know how the work is. People are like, how'd that person get Arsenio Hall? I did better on the showcase. Okay, I'm s- you, you saw it from afar, but the history behind it. With all the legwork. All, that, the leg- all that stuff that people don't. People don't show you the work on the Instagram. Work. <laughs> they don't show you all the behind the scenes, all the failures. That crying in your pillow, yeah. yelling, yeah. sitting in your car, questioning your life. Right. <laughs> exactly. Dude, all those times, looking out the window in a shitty hotel and seeing some guy, like, it's like, I, one of these times I looked out the window and this guy was just throwing up and he was, and he passed out. And I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm like, I gotta get out of this city right now. It was like, it was in Toronto. It was like a really bad show, and I picked up the phone. I went on the computer. I booked my first flight to L.A. Wow. It was 1998. I said I can't do this. Wow. Two thousand, maybe two thousand. Yeah. You know, so I was I was doing a show, and the bouncer. I came there tired. I was like, oh man, my back's tough. And the, and the guy's like, oh yeah, you're a tough dude, bouncer dude. He's like, yeah, you work forty five minutes, and that's. But so I go, you know, I flew across the country, <laughs> yeah. and I just landed, and I had to find an Uber, and my fu- and I got, I just got here. I didn't even fucking change. Right. And he was like, "Oh, well, I didn't know that. I didn't see that." I go, "Yeah, you don't know and don't see. So why are you speaking? And you, you know what? That's forty-five minutes. You know how long it took me to make it that good that it works everywhere, and it's not hacky. I lost four potential wives." <laughs> right, <laughs> right. People don't see. There's a, there's a um, uh, this book that I read is called The Art of. Uh, I, f- I, I, I forget uh, what the na- what the title of the book is, but basically it's like uh, interesting facts, right? All these things, and what they did in one of the uh, snippets is they listed uh, six numbers, right? There are six three digit numbers, so like four nineteen, three eighty seven. 231, whatever. And they said, all right, looking at these six set of numbers, uh, what do they have in common, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, what? Did, I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, oh, they all have a four in them, right? Wow. That was the common thing. So then they showed you another set of numbers. Uh, they're all three-digit numbers, six sets. And they're like, what's the common theme in, in this set? And I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I was like racking my brain, racking my brain. And then uh, the answer was they were all missing uh, a six. None of them had the number six in them. Right. And the point was it's easy for us to detect what is there. It's hard for us to detect what isn't there. Right. 
And this guy couldn't detect. Yeah, he couldn't there. detect what wasn't there. You know, there's another guy that. So I walk into the the comedy club in Toronto, and uh, I go, "Hey, man, can you jump on?" You know, it's already, there's already an MC. There's two guest spots. There's a there's a feature and there's a headliner. But I go, "Can I get a guest spot?" And manager's like, "Yeah, for sure, Ronnie. For sure, go uh, go after. It. Where do you want to go?" And then this other comic, who's probably doing a less than half. I was maybe 10, 12 years, and I'm at 22 years. He's like, "Wait." Wait, I called. I called a week before, and da da da. And you said I can't get on because da 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 da. And this guy just walks in, and the guy goes, "You don't, you, you don't have, you're not him. First of all, right? We don't know the history that we have, right? It's not. He goes, yeah, but everybody has to do. He goes, that's where you're wrong. Nobody has to do the same thing everybody else has to do." Right. What you don't see is stuff that we went through, and maybe he helped me. Maybe he because do you know the time when everybody was stuck in a snowstorm and Ron had to do an hour and a half by himself? Do you remember that time? And the guy's like, well, I wasn't around then. He's like, yeah, but you, you don't know the history of what we went through. He saved my ass a thousand fucking times. Mm. Right. You, we don't even fucking know you. You just got into this city last month. You know, like you can't just do that. There's you have a, to you, plant seeds. You gotta plant seeds and water them. Water them, and then be part of a network. Even when you leave after ten years, the network was so strong that you come back, and they're like, "Hey, we missed you." Right. But if you didn't develop, you ever hear the the Wolfman? So there's a documentary on YouTube about the guy that left his whole family to live with wolves, mm. right? So he studied wolves his whole life. So he, when he's when he starts, uh in a pact of a wolves, he has to be the lowest person on the, on the scale. And what happens, he has to be on his back. He knows exactly what he has to act like. And then they go, don't they know that you're an actual man? He's like, no, because if I'm doing all these things, and he compared it to, like, women sometimes go for ugly guys, not because <laughs> they care about looks as much, it's because if they satisfy her in other things that she needs, he, he doesn't care if you're good looking, <laughs> you know? These animals, no, I'm not them, but I'm acting like them, like the language that you speak, a person that's white could, that could speak Afrikaans, or they could speak Afrikaans, but I mean, like, you know, another language, they won't even see the white no more. Right. I have a, my parent, my mom's family adopted a white baby, and I grew up seeing him. I knew he was different, but he acts like a Filipino. He speaks it, and he eats to it, and he goes to act like it, like it's a nuances. So I don't even see him as a white person. They don't see him as a human. And all of a sudden, he built himself to an alpha level, right, where he had to bring in meat. He had to bring in the carcass. He, had, he cooked the heart on its own, but if you eat the heart in front of them, it shows your boss, right, the heart and kidney. So he would pre-cook these heart and kidneys, put it back in the carcass, bring it as if he killed it, make everybody eat after he ate, and then they can eat. So they saw him as leader. His mom died, so he had to go away for two months. He didn't know this was going to happen. He came back, and they're like, we don't, want, we don't want you here. You left us. Wow. So he had to start all the way from the bottom. He was no longer pack leader. There was a new pack leader. He goes, there's no difference from society. If you leave your group of people, they're not your, f you know, like, let's say the, the comedy scene. You're gone, and you didn't establish there long enough. Right. You come back, you're back at the bottom. It's like you got to work yourself back up because 
people don't care about you when you leave sometimes unless you really hit a pinnacle level and right. they respect that with you. But normally... Unless you're like, you guys really been to war together. Yeah, yeah. You've really been through some stuff. And maybe that's a couple comics, but the whole scene in general changes so much that when you come back after three years, two years... Like, well, that's why military guys, you know, that's what they miss. That's what they crave because those those are a group of guys who they have been through a million things together. Yeah, right. And then if they see each other, like, it's like yeah. no time has passed, right. you know. I got buddies like that from high school and college where, you know, we could go years without talking to each other and then just pick up like mm-hmm. it was nothing. But you, you have to go through some blood sweat and tears with people yeah for them to not just eat with them like that's not enough yeah. for me to be like oh yeah that guy you yeah. know there has to be that thing and you may not even remember it anymore but it's already ingrained in you absolutely like i i hey man gene papa just seeing gene i know he's been around and people respect him and and like hey man you've been a dog a war, war dog for the longest time in our scene um how old's your brother he's 47 so i'm 45 he's two years and old. what's your brother doing he is a fraud investigator for insurance fraud, and he used to go on the road, and he'd have to travel there. He'd meet a forensics there and a cop, and then they would see this car in, the, in a pond with a tape stuck on the gas pedal, and people's burning their own businesses to try to actually make the money back. Wow. So he does that, but now he works from his house, and he only works three days a, mo- a week, and he has four days a week to enjoy his life. And so he's found exactly what I found, but in a corporate setting. Wow. Where I can have, I could kind of get work, maybe one one month I'll do a cruise, so I'll make that money, and then maybe I got XM radio coming in, and then I got maybe a weekend somewhere. And then the rest of the three weeks, I'm just doing my spots, enjoying my life, going to the beach, eating tacos on Tuesday and whatever, right? And going out till three in the morning like a, like a kid. I'm reliving my youth because my youth was kind of, too, uh, it was too intense for a kid. Right, right. right? So my right. brother is doing the exact same thing, but in his world. Are you reading anything right now? Um, the last thing uh, <laughs> I picked up was just, I went to the, what the bookstore, uh, there's like this bookstore in the Grove, and it was like. Barnes and Noble? Barnes and Noble, because yeah, yeah. all the bookstores in Canada are closing. Mm-hmm. But um, I just picked up this thing on the history of uh, California, and how it was found, how it started, and it shows like the development all the way to Hollywood. You know, like how how Hollywood started, and it was originally in New York City, and then in the because they couldn't, the climate was kept changing. They had to bring it to to L.A. What made you pick that book up? I'm uh, I love history. I love history. Yeah, like uh, I didn't know that in the uh, I didn't know the name of the book. I just saw it there with my girl, and she was like, "This is so cool," and she bought it for me. But anyways, the uh, Underneath uh, California is a giant grid system of train tracks because it was supposed to be like how London was. But then GM came in and they paved it over and wanted to start this car revolution. Wow. So there's a movie that's out. It's a documentary called America's First Road Trip with this guy named uh, Hashiro. America's First Road Trip. The documentary is about in in 1887, the uh, Ford just came out with their first production car. It was like a hundred bucks or whatever, right? Two hundred bucks, and everybody's like, "This is stupid. Um, it's not going to be something that could replace the horse." And how? I, so this millionaire that bought it had a friend that was a doctor that was also a f- a, f- uh, a, a, vid- uh, a videographer, 
or had films. He was like, let's document this. He bet all his millionaire friends they can make take this car all the way to New York City. And on the way, uh, they're, they're going to have a lot of problems, but they're, they're going to document this thing on, on video, right? On film. But there was no audio back then. So they show that very first road trip of them leaving California and going through all these things. So in the, f in the first, I think in the first 20 miles, their car broke down. So they had to fix it. And this guy knew how to do it, right? So they kept going. Tires blew. They had to f figure out how to make tires at uh, rubber factories. They kept going. Uh, this is three, four months it takes them to get to fucking California, uh, to New York City. They go, bugs were going in their mouths. So they're like, we have to create a windshield. So this whole four months was the creation of the stuff that we do to that we have today. At the they didn't realize that night they couldn't see. They had to take lamps with cylinders around to shoot beams out so they can see. That was the beginnings of the fucking lights. Wow. Right? And they had, the whole trip was them figuring out how to keep making this car go through bad terrain and get our faces not, not hit by dust. They go through Alabama, and there's a video that, now the, the person that's speaking who is the doing the audio, he's reading out what they're writing. So that we pass by Alabama. New York and L.A., Chicago, Boston, they all have newspapers that, f that it's all over the news, it's on the radio. Now, this is a part of the, of the, of the country that nobody really hears anything about. They're kind of like, you know, hicks, and they're just in the middle of nowhere, nobody knows what's happening there. They didn't know what this machine was. They screamed, and you see people running for their lives saying, the devil is here. So they thought the car was like, it was almost like, you know what's interesting? It's almost like Native Americans seeing... The first Boats. white guy on a horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And being like, <gasps> "What is that? Wow!" Yeah, there's there's a, a uh, there's a video on YouTube where there's a tribe. Uh, 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 what what the, was it? What there's was also a tribe that sees a white man for the first time. This yeah, in the eighties, and they they thought he was a, a ghost. Wow, they're touching because he's white. Yeah. So they made it to New York, but when they go through all these southern states, they never heard about this shit happening. It was all over the news. People were like, "This is crazy! A car." that is going across America, that's impossible. How's that possible? But it was the first road that they paved that went from California to New York City, which is, is part of the Route 66 today, part of all these different routes. And uh, after that, the car kind of evolved quicker than it ever had to. It had to evolve. And the second trip took half the time. The third trip took half the time of the last trip. And all of a sudden... People are doing it in a week or two, you know? But it, it was because of that bet that America figured out how to make a car uh, drivable for a road trip. What's great about that is that it, it's not that they made a perfect car. They made something mm -hmm. that was good enough because a, a lot of, a lot, and I have this in myself also, where like I want everything to be perfect before I present it, right? Right, right. And it's like, no, make it good enough, and then figure it out. Make it good enough to to be usable, mm -hmm. like Steve Jobs did with the iPhone, or you know, the iPods and all those other different. Pro and Bill Gates, that's why there's always so software updates because you're like, this is good enough, right. and then we're gonna keep working on it, keep tweaking it. As we, so it's like, don't, you know, even in relationships, it's not about, <laughs> it's not about finding the perfect person. Just find someone who's good enough. 
yeah. that you can you can make you that can, trip. For yeah, the rest of your life. and you have to tweak things on the way, but not change them. Yeah, tweak it. Right, you're yeah. not you're not tweak changing yourself, the car. Tweak yourself, but don't change yourself. <laughs> yeah, and like my my ex was like, you know, she wanted me to be a different person. I go, then why did you even date me in the beginning? Because wow. she forgot. It's funny, you like somebody, you're attracted to somebody, you date them, now you don't. You look at the flaws rather than the stuff that made you attracted to them. Right. How right. fucked up is that shit? Right. You know? But that's how we're trained, right? To see the, 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 the bad and we, you know, I have days, that's why I like, you know, you have to have like that gratitude list at the end of the day because yeah. you can have a, a really great day but only remember that one crappy thing that yeah. happened. It's just like when you do a show, you're on stage, you're killing but you see that one audience member with their arms crossed, yeah, that bugs you. and it just bugs you, and and yeah. and you can't not see it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. it's like, just like, yeah. and even point them out, like, hey, hey, you you yeah. get on board with everybody else. What I, about the rest of the body? <laughs> yeah. That nose, yeah, has a little thing here. <laughs> it's like I remember going, God, can you please give me a beautiful woman? Like I remember praying to God. Really? Like I was in my twenties, and I was like. Please, I've never had a, a hot girl that I was just gaga over. I've always had a cute girl. I want a hot one. Wow. It's just, a, I was presented with the most hottest girl I've ever seen in my life till today. And she became the ugliest person I ever met. Wow. She was walking around naked in the house one time, and I'm like, you're so ugly to me right now. I can see how beautiful your face and body is, but you're the ugliest person. Her personality. It was so bad. Right. And I'm like, how is this? Can't you have both? And then I prayed for another one. <laughs> and it, it's, it was just, it was a different thing. But the hotness is, you know where it's around? The six hours you're out with them and people see you. That's where they're hot. You ever see a, hot, a guy with a hot girl or a, guy, a girl with a hot guy? And, you, and I look at the hot girl like, girl, it's so hot, man. That guy must be so happy. I didn't realize that after the night's over, this it's it could be a different thing, because people are only hot when they put themselves dress themselves up for that six to eight hours a day. When you're at home, you kinda, nobody looks that hot. Yeah, yeah. Her hair is up in the thing. Yeah, She's in sweats. Have, the makeup's off. The eyelashes. I don't care how amazing your body is. A piece yeah. of snot will destroy that whole thing. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> something. Uh, you know, whatever. A, a, a blemish. And some people look better in clothes than they do naked. Yeah. And some people look better, better naked, naked than, than they do in clothes, which is crazy it's to me. It's so crazy. Thank God for clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because if we're, uh, clothes were invented by the per by a dude that had the worst body. And he had to put like fur on him to make him look tough. It was the first douchebag that ever was created. But then, and then I went, so it doesn't matter how hot a girl is. It's, it's, it's almost like it's, you, you only want them to show them off. It's not even for yourself. <laughs> to, to, you know, I had a, a, a sex worker on the podcast recently. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was like, what do most men come to you for? And she said, understanding. She said, most men in relationships, they're in relationships, they really want someone that they can talk to and talk to about anything. Their flaws, their vulnerabilities, their their fears, their like whatever, without feeling judged yeah. about it, you know. And so she said, a lot of guys would come to her just so they can say really what they want to say, and then the sex part was just something that they did at the end as an excuse. 
It was almost like, because it's like, as a dude, you know, you don't want to be like, yeah, man, I, I, I just want to talk to my prostitute. Yeah. Right? Like, there's something like, you know, society's not going to accept that. It's like, oh, something's wrong with you. If you're like, if you hook up with a prostitute, we go, oh, yeah, there you go, whatever. But to be like, you just want to talk to your, mm-hmm. are you crazy? Like, you know what I mean? And in one way, making you relax makes you horny. Absolutely. So when you have any problems down there as a man or a female, if you talk about it and it releases that, you really, you're relieved of it, it actually starts working. Dude, that's why hot yoga? Dude. I try that. Man, I, man, when I take hot yoga, and especially with a girl that I'm dating, yeah. oh, man, it's that's on great. and popping. That's amazing. You just, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're all types of, because there's also something about getting into your body and expressing yourself physically mm-hmm. uh, in a group setting. And then you just, there's a, a release where you're just like, right. all right. You know, it's weird because like going overseas a lot, and especially going to like you go to Thailand. But I don't even know how to explain it. Of course, there's the biggest one of the biggest sex trade. Oh yeah, out there, pro- big problem. And 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 even speaking to these, to a lot of them because the, a lot of them are just regular people that do it, for money and and they actually looking for husbands. It's the weirdest thing, you know, like. Uh, you talk to this uh, one lady's just like, you know, it's not bad in the Buddhist religion to have sex and to there's no walk of shame. There's no, you feel embarrassed about it. It's that's an American, uh, that's mere American thing, where it's like no, you please have sex. It's, uh, it it, it releases, releases endorphins. It makes you happy, and you're supposed to share it around. So they don't have the same. A lot of people are like, oh, it's bad because it was a sexual. Of course it's bad. But in their eyes, sometimes it's, mo- it's not the same. They're like, no, this is how life is. You know, what's interesting about that, I think about that with food, right? Yeah. You make food and you share food yeah. and it feels great. And I, I guess if you're going to have that philosophy about food, you would have that about sex. It's like, you, why wouldn't you share sex? Right. That's, a, that's interesting. And then it was in Myanmar huh. with my friend Justin, who's a big Filipino dude. He's not fat, fat, but he's like big legs and big f- body. <laughs> so we get masu- we get a massage there, right? And at the end, the girl's like, you know, she's speaking English. She's like, Myanmar women, there's the men in Myanmar are very, you know, it's Burma. They're very small. They're, s- they're skinny. They're tiny. They're almost like pygmy-ish, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we have a, a fascination. We have We have an attraction to fat guys. And then my friends because like, you're exotic, you're yeah. different. Wow. And so after the massage, the girl's like, "Can I can I cuddle you for like ten minutes?" And I'll to wow. my friend, and he goes, "And no, you don't have to pay me full amount." So because uh, that's I'm you doing something for me, and she went behind him and spooned him, and like grabbed onto his boobs, <laughs> and started like squishing them. And after he's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "No, this is we like big guys, like big bodies." And the girl, other girl's like, yeah, like, do you have any more fat friends? Wow. And I'm like, what the hell? He's like, it's not here. You can't see fat men anywhere. We need fat men. <laughs> <laughs> so my friend bought our f- sumo friend out there. Oh, man. And he was had like 10 women just hanging just out. Just touching him, <laughs> walking around. They're like, oh, my God, look at this. They're like fat men. 
<laughs> Where'd you say that was again? Myanmar. That's hilarious, yeah. Doc. It's a, and, and in different places of the world, it's just weird. It gets weird, and it's like, you know, going to different countries. Just you have to be told about uh, about culture because yeah. you go to Japan. So my friend picks me and Justin up in Japan. Hey, I was like, first thing, uh, we're gonna take the tube, which is the train, uh, outside the airport to the main uh, station in the city of Tokyo. Don't laugh out loud in the tube. Why? Because that's that's rude. That's very rude. Right. I'm like, okay. So if you laugh, you go. <laughs> right. You don't honk in Japan. Yeah, you, you don't, don't honk in Japan. Right, in right. Hawaii's opposite, or like in in uh, uh, Indonesia, in uh, in, in Malaysia. Right. You, you every second you're honking. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just hello is a honk. Right. But oh. Yeah. You know, it's like you see your friend. Didi. Uh, you're making a left. Just do it. Didi. Making right. Didi. Now, if you see a kid walking, right? If you see someone doing something wrong, you go, so there's different sounds that that are not rude and what's rude. So you have to learn that if, or when you see it, because you hear, it's just, don't worry, don't freak out. It's, you're going to, that's, watch out. Because some of them are friendly and some of them are not, right? Yeah. Uh, When you meet somebody in Japan, a lot of the time they say, this is what my friend was saying when she was out there. She lives there. She born and raised in Japan. She went overseas. But she's like, when you meet any of my friends, don't don't go, don't like be overexpressive and say, hey, how are you? Because it's like, relax. Just... You know, you know the nod. You know the head. They're bar? very stoic in Japan, right? But that's why they have a high suicide rate, also, because they're not. You know, they're also they're having a population problem because in the eighties and nineties there was a lot of rapes and everything, and so they're. It, they, it's not Me Too movement, but it was what they kind of did with Me Too here, right? It's like they're like, do not approach women in the bus stops, do not approach women in public, do not try to pick them up in bars, don't do that. It's like stay away from women, guys. You know, because there's too much of that. So they've been taught that, uh, you know, you get, you, you're in elementary school, that's what you're taught. All of a sudden, these guys are adults. And they don't, nobody's trying to pick up women. What? So the Japanese... I thought it was the technology. No. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... Go ahead. And the Chinese, and the Jap- my Japanese friends, like, every American that comes in just racks them all up. You know, in Sweden, it's the same thing, too. The Swedish population, whenever I'm there doing shows, the girls are like... Every comic, every female comic talks about how uh, there's always a running joke how f- the guys take look better than the women and they don't approach women, you know? So we have to do all the work, and we hate it. It's a running fucking joke. Like, we have to do all the work. And if you go to Sweden and pick up a girl or say talk to her in the bar, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you even said something to me because nobody does it, right? And it's kind of like how you do that to a society and, don't, and you tell them not to try to pick up women, it's going to destroy the society. If you, I understand that you have to talk to a woman to actually get her to like you and date her and marry her and have children. But if you s- tell people to stop approaching women, that's never going to happen. You know, like they're having a population problem in India with the Bengal tiger because I don't know what's happened, but they they're they're in captivity and whatever, and so now it's been so long that they haven't kind of like lived on their own together outside of the national parks and stuff that they don't know how to have sex anymore. Wow. Where like they put a male tiger with a female tiger and then he knows how the position, so he's on the back, but he, he has ED now. Like he's Erectile dysfunction. Yeah, for a tiger, he's like, what the fuck? And the girl's like, 
what you, come on, just, and he's like, I don't, I don't know, I, I'm just really, I'm not around women enough. Wow. And then his dick is soft, and then she's upset, she goes to the and he's literally in the corner like, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, how do we fucking fix this problem? <laughs> they have no clue what's happening. And it's not even on the news. It's When I'm in India, I see this. I'm like, what's happening? They're like, uh, the uh, tiger can get this penis erect. They don't know why they, we give them, trying to teach them to sex, but I think they've been away f- from their society for too long, so they, it's like a weirdo coming into the city. He's like, where are you? He, he f- forgot, the, guy, the, the tiger was literally like, fuck. <laughs> and the woman's just like, piece of shit. I'm trying to have a baby so our my genes can live on, and you can't get it up. Wow! Like it is. You can feel it in a body language, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's happening with animals. They if were showing uh, uh, seals in. Uh, uh, don't quote me if it's Antarctica or Greenland somewhere, uh, where the seals are mating with penguins. What the fuck is the, that? The baby seals. Like, these are like young adolescent seals who. They're not big or strong enough to get a female, mm-hmm. but you know the 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 needs are there, and so they're they're basically grabbing these penguins and just raping the shit. And, out of them. Yeah, and they're dying. Probably. And oh well, no, actually, uh, the only time they die actually is if the seal then decides to not use lube to to take it, oh, uh, to eat it. But most of them live. Most of them, they just let them go, and the, you know the penguin just. That's why they walk that way. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're like this. Oh shit! <laughs> ass. Uh, we're gonna end it there, man. Ron Jossel, uh I always did I say that your last yeah, name correctly? Yeah, it's perfect. Um, it's always a pleasure talking to you, man. We always talk and hang out, and uh, yeah. and I, I love the way your mind works. How's you're, my mind work? I have no clue. You're just like, just on stage, you're, you're uh, one of my favorite comedians to watch. Oh, thanks. Um, but two off is that you have a very, um, you're like me, like, I want to I wanna connect with everyone. Everybody, yeah. Right? Like, the world is my friend. Right. And also want to share information. I want to share information. Right. And it's like, I, I have no, like... Oh, I gotta hold on to this because I want all this for myself. Well, I want it's people just, to see what I see. I just, yeah, absolutely. I wish I you were there or any other comic that I know were there when I saw certain things in life it, overseas. Like I was, I was like, I wish people just saw this because this is this does not happen normally in life. You know, like in a good way, not an earthquake. Right, right, you know, right. Like right. A, it's just like wow. I leave my hotel room in 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 India, and then there's a camel just walks by me. So cool. Yeah, and then if it shits or pisses on your car, it's good luck. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And you're so you're, like, you're wishing for a camel? You're like, yeah. <laughs> now I got to get a fucking scraper. You know, it's like weird things like that. You're like, that's supposed to be good? You know, like and me and we're bagging your, like we were, wait, we got our luggage at the airport, and they fucking, the luggage boys were bagging each other in the balls. And the people were clapping like it was a tennis match. It was like, oh, get out of here. <laughs> oh, 
that's something that you would only see in a locker room uh, among you know here yeah, amongst yeah. like the uh the the uh the big white boys would do that right, on our right. football team you know from yeah. the farm like yeah. c- city black boy like we would never no, no. nah they won't play won't play that and me and mother do it like it's a tennis match and people are clapping wow in, in, in Korea they poke each other in the assholes for fun and there's a statue of it and it's a game that you'll see just walking around people like like hey. Come on, dude! Like grown men. Google. Oh, uh, I don't want to Google asshole. that because then There's I'm afraid statue, of like what Rocky. it's gonna do to my 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 cue. <laughs> it's, it's like Rocky. I, I don't want the ads. Wait, that's hilarious. Korean bum poke statue. Korean bum poke statue. Poke statue. Uh oh. Comfort women. Oh, that's hilarious. Comfort. See there, there's a picture. Is that a, a statue of it? Um, Korea. Oh, wait. Korean. Bum. Is that B U M P O? Yeah. Oh wait. Oh wait. Here we go. Wait. For the bizarre South Korean game of dong chim. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, involves using your index fingers to poke someone between the bum. Oh, hold on, man. Poop the poop needle. What is? Oh man, what's going on here? No, it's a game. Like dong chim is a popular prank that involves using your index fingers to poke someone in between the bum cheeks with as much force as you can muster. That's oh man. Oh no. There's a statue. Like Rocky. Hold up. What's funny to me is that like. You think about the Asian culture. I always think about it as like, especially Koreans and yeah, Japanese, yeah. very clean, yeah, very yeah. stoic. And then you got a statue of. <laughs> that, but they they have the weirdest. They do weird stuff there too. Like to them, it's. Oh yeah, that yeah, that's 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 that. Like you're allowed definitely. to fight a cop in Korea. So yeah. my friends in the Korean in a in a bar, and some guy gets in an argument with him, and so they go outside and they're about to fight. And these cops are watching. You're allowed to fight each other, right? And they won't get arrested. And then this cop pushed one of my friend. He's like, get out of here, you white guy. And he goes, hey, you can't push me. I didn't do anything. I can now challenge you to a fight. And if I win, I win. And then the cops are like, yeah, that's the truth. So my friend w- fought a cop, and he, and he got beat up by the cop. But the cop was like, all right, get out of here, guys. Like, it was like... If you someone offends your machismo, you're allowed to challenge them to a duel. In Korea, you can yeah. fight the cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend fought a cop, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "No, he offended your ma- your ma- your manhood, so you can fight." Oh my Nobody god! Nobody gets arrested. This is so much. Sorry, we keep. No, I'm, uh, this is all very fascinating and interesting, and it's also. Um, uh, uh, it's valuable because it just encourages people to travel more. Because travel more. because what happens is, you know, to tie it all back, like you said, the your childhood and the way because of what you went through as a kid was so intense, right? Mm. It it made you look at the big picture of things, and the small things aren't as big of a deal. And then travel does the same thing, right? When you travel the world and you see you know, a family of six on a scooter. Mm -hmm. Now you don't flip out when you see a mom 
uh, or so you know, a kid without his helmet on a yeah. bird bike. Like you go, oh, I just saw a family, or you see a camel going across, you know, in front of you. Yeah. Um, like you, you just have like this worldly perspective. Like things don't upset I, you as much. They don't upset me, and they, you know how people open local. They'll see something in the city, and they go, I, I don't have that ability because everything has turned normal to me. Wait, um, I didn't, I didn't catch what you like. Were let's say a comic goes to a new city, and then they open up with a joke they saw about the city that they're not used to. Ismo's a very, you know Ismo? Ismo, yeah. So Ismo talks about their language because it's the first thing that he's like, what the hell does this mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Why do you do this? Right. I don't have that in me. I go, okay, that's how it is. Well, that's how it is. Okay. Right. And, and I, I go with the flow too much that I can't pick those things out. Uh, in fact, they don't even, I don't even care that they're different. Yeah. Right? Like we went to a restaurant and my friend's like, uh, in, the, in Japan's like, have you ever been eating sushi in Japan? I go, no, but I have sushi all the time. And, L.A., San Francisco. It's like, no, this is different. I'll go. To, he goes. It starts on classes, right? So, a better, just an average sushi place is kind of similar to our places, right? But then, if you go to a really good sushi place, even at the lowest level, each sushi is twenty dollars, right? So you're like, why is it so expensive? Okay, walk in, take off your gla- your hat, your jacket, your shoes. Now the this color is painted. The, the walls are painted a certain color to enjoy your food. The temperature is a certain temperature to enjoy your food, and the sound that they play, whether it's music or a, or or just a some kind of be- sound, like a beat or something, it's to enjoy their food. I go, why is that? Because w- w- would you enjoy the best steak in your life if you were chased with a man with a knife? I don't even know. Well, don't you think it would be amazing if you sat in the most perfect place to eat the food? Can you enjoy it? I go, yeah, it's the same way. So this, the the temperature has to be right. The surrounding and the lighting has to be right, too, and the sound. And then the sushi comes, and I'm, she goes, first of all, don't eat it with chopsticks. Use your hands. I go, why? Because the chopsticks change the taste. If you eat it Dude, with your hands. Dude, I'm trying to get away from using utensils when I eat. Wow. Because I was it's just called Kamayan in the Filipino. It, Filipinos use their hands. Indonesians use their hands. If you go to most restaurants in Indonesia and Malaysia, you don't. You, there's no cutlery because it changes the food. It the experience of it not being uh, in nature. It's food is in nature, and you're not using <laughs> using utensils doesn't allow you to grab it, touch it, taste it. And know that if it's too hot for you to even put it in your mouth, yeah. that's the problem with uh, spoon or a fork. Um, going back to what you're saying about colors, so this says that uh, uh, in terms of uh, what the codes that restaurants are painted, right? Red and yellow are uh, effective at grabbing your attention. Um, and it, blah, 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 blah. Oh, so it, like red and yellow draws you in. It just basically, it stimulates your appetite, right? Right. If your walls are painted orange, uh, that's another appetizing color. And it could either work for you or against you, depending on the context of your blah, blah, blah. Okay, green denotes eco-friendliness, and it makes you think of vegetables. Mm-hmm. So it makes like vegetables more appetizing. So like that increases vegetable sales. That's funny. This place was pink. It was pink. Let's was see like if they have pink. Was, oh, okay. Bright colors connote uh, pops of flavor such as sweetness and desserts. Mm. So fun color combos can be a- applicable to, a- applicable 
to foods like uh, candy. So they probably painted the place, place pink because they know that you're going to buy food. Yeah. Most people, a lot of people don't buy dessert always. Right. So it's like to make sure that you Want buy to. dessert, right. they like, let's throw in some pink colors because there's a lot of money to be made there. And they're like, where are we losing the mo- most money? People buy drinks and they'll buy their main dish right. and maybe even appetizers. But people usually will skimp on yeah, dessert, dessert, but a brightly colored. Yeah. That's why like frozen yogurt places Has the color, are, yeah. are, are, are brightly colored. I just read this other thing recently, and it was saying how, especially for parents, um, but you know, this is something I'm going to apply as an adult also, is that when you order your food, order your dessert with your food. Like, bring it all out mm. so that dessert doesn't become this thing that um, is a reward. The dessert then becomes part of the wow. meal. Wow. Versus like, well, have I been good today? It's like, no, it was just I just eat dessert. Yeah. And then it doesn't become this thing that you have to think about. It just becomes a part of your your meal. meal. Yeah. Right? And I was like, wow, that's an interesting psychology. Because you don't have to finish the dessert too, because when you get a dessert at the end of the meal on its own, you feel the you feel obliged to eat it all. Absolutely. Where if it's part of the meal, you don't have to. Right. Yeah, and then um, oh yeah, that sushi thing. When I they're like take it, dip it in a soy sauce, and I go, what if the, it'll fall the, the the fish? They're like, no, this was killed six seven hours ago. The 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 biology is different. It still grips onto the the rice, and after a certain amount of hours, it becomes silky and it just falls off it. But but wow. but when it's when it's just killed, it's sticky. So I turn it over. It's like see, it doesn't fall unless you really. The it grabs on, and when you eat it, it's a di- if a different texture. Eating raw fish that's cut six hours ago is different from a week ago, and that's what we're eating. It's silky, smooth, and it, it's slippery. This is grips. Wow. A different. It doesn't even taste like sushi. It tastes like a meat. It's. I've never had. I. I. I was in shock because I get. I bring everybody to a restaurant to tell, tell them to show them the difference because people don't know. Where do you go in LA for sushi then? Um, I don't. I go to like the, you know across the factory, upstairs. Laugh Factory. Yeah, across yeah. the Laugh Factory is one upstairs. Yeah, it's okay, but the really good ones. Um, my cousin brings me to all these places that are fusion sushi places that uh. have real Japanese guys that come in and they're yeah. really good. But I don't know. I don't go to these regularly because they're more expensive. Yeah. The one downtown Yokozuna or Yoko something. Are you, uh, that's really high end. It's yeah. really good. Uh. I go there for like people's birthdays and stuff. I'll send you a link. And in Japan, everybody's drunk at two a.m. because the harder you work, the more you can drink. So you'll see grown men in business suits sitting in bushes, going ah, like yeah. this, and the cops drive around going. And the and the microphone megaphone going. Anybody needs a ride home? Jump in the car. We'll bring you home. And people are flo- on the floors on the fucking streets, rolling around. Um, there, one one more thing before you have to go. Anyways, the cartoons in Japan is a culture. It's not cutesy. Th- it's not that. Here's here's an example. Two examples that show me this. There's this bus that didn't have windows but had flat screens on it, right? It had a rabbit. It was a cartoon rabbit and a, a, a bunny going, I go, well, what's that? Is that a kid bus? And my friend's like, that's a fuck bus. I go, what? It's like, you go into the bus and you have sex with the women and then, and then you leave. 
I go, but it, it's so cute. The color, the, it's a cartoon. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's cartoon or not. I go, cartoons are supposed to be for children. It's like, you know the biggest gang outside of the Yakuza that was walking around that day? They're wearing, they walked around wearing like filters. Like, you know, a filter with a cat ears, yeah. nose. They walk around with like real cat nose ear filter looking, but real life. And then at the back of their, their belt was the tail of a tiger's tail that was kind of moving on its own, like some kind of electronic thing. That I go, that's hilarious. They're like, no, don't, f they're, they're, the, they're the biggest gang here. I go, what? Like, they're wearing that to scare you. Whiskers? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking fake animal ears and nose? And a tail? A fucking tiger's tail out of this guy's attached to his belt that's just I'm like that's hilarious They're like no it's not hilarious like, it's, but that's a gangster they'll kill you but they're dressed as tiger emoticons it's like yeah who cares that doesn't mean they're they're kids and I'm like I don't understand this right that's a joke don't they kill you they kill you <laughs> But how would they kill you though? That's what I tiger's tail. Strongly. But cartoon is not for kids out there. It's for kids and adults. There's a fuck bus that has a a rabbit baby bunny talking and saying translate, come in, have sex with our women. They're so beautiful. But they don't have pictures of the women. They have the rabbit. And then you go in the bus and then you pick who you want to have sex with. Wow. Like it's just and like Did you go on the bus? Hell yeah. <laughs> I, f I fucked the rabbit. <laughs> Yo, we got to end it there, man. That's hilarious. Uh, Ron Jossel, I always feel like um, there is someone listening who is on the cusp of completing suicide. Right. What would you say to them? I would say this. Whatever makes you happy remember that and find it and go to it and anything that makes you upset stay away from it because i go through my life seeing and I, and ahead of me i could see happiness and sadness bitterness is i could see bitterness is right there i've been doing this for 22 years i should be bitter <laughs> you know but i don't go there i go there and so look whatever makes you happy how far it is in the world it could be the other side of the world it could be you know, and it's not about money. It's a place or a person or someone you know or a place that makes you happy. Just go there. And think about if you still want to commit suicide because you won't want to if you get there. Hey, you know, it's so true, man. I, you know, I have friends who, you know, uh, listen to Rachel Maddow mm -hmm. in the morning. And I go, and it, and it, it infuriates them to listen and I go, why would you listen to something that infuriates you, that yeah. I incites you, you know? Yeah. Uh, even with documentaries, I found that, like, I don't know if I want to keep watching a lot of these documentaries yeah. because they're just there to incite anger and fury and then leave me without an answer. Like, you know, um, who's the guy with the 9-11 documentary? Uh, uh, Mike, uh, Mike, Michael, Michael, 9-11. Yeah. Um, Fahrenheit. God, um, Michael, big big dude, right? Yeah, uh, uh, eleven. 
nine. Mike. Documentary. That's going to eat me up. How could I forget that dude's Michael. name? Uh, Michael Moore. Michael Moore, yeah. Um, and so, like, a lot of these documentaries, they try to come off as if they're trying to present you with information and show you the facts. But really, they're there to incite you and, and upset you, all these conspiracy documentaries. And, and then you end up taking more pills and more drugs. Yeah. So, uh, know you know, like that, that just because yeah, something yeah. says it's supposed to be good for you and it's supposed to be healthy doesn't mean it is. Really listen to how your body is responding to it. Just like you said, it goes back to the girl where you're like, she was beautiful. She was amazing on the outside, but inside... She yeah. was ugly. So, you know, listen to how your body responds to places, persons, things, music. I've changed the music I listen to because mm -hmm. I, I recognize that it incites a certain. Um, I've also put my uh, my heartbeat per minute higher on the elliptical because I know it releases more endorphins. And then when I get off, I feel so much better. Because when your heart starts pumping, and go, that's a high right there. Right. And if you go on the treadmill or you go in the, any kind of uh, cardio and you're not pushing yourself to a high uh, a limit where that gets flowing, you're not going to feel the high. Ron, thank you so much for being on the episode, man. Thanks, man. This is excellent. This is, I, oh, I think this is going to be the longest podcast oh, I've done, is it? which uh, I'm excited about. Ron, we did two hours. No, we didn't. And 34 minutes. No, we didn't. We did a, we did a Joe Rogan podcast. Holy shit. I hope you're not late for anything. No, 